How very un-Canadian, by the way, to tune out of hockey. Get off the quilt and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 87, and my name's Jakob. And my name's Randy. And today, well, we're Nicholas again, because Nick's kind of getting his shit together, I suppose. Or as my boss likes to say, getting his shit in one sock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently, this is a military analogy. I don't know. Anyway, but today we're joined by a very special guest. We have Jackson Boren in the house once more to join us and talk about some 90s movies. How are you doing, Jackson? I'm doing great, guys. I have my Lollapalooza hat ready and uh, ready to go down <laughs> downstream with you guys. Fabulous. Fabulous. Awesome. We're ready to roll. Awesome. He's ahead of us on the puns. <laughs> I was I'm thinking, it's like, how do I? How do I? Like, what do I? I don't know. I had was I had these sort of like that. Like, get paddling and listen to. Ah, oh, no, it's not that good. And I just and I remembered the David Strathairn. So like, Maggie, get off the quilt. It's <laughs> <laughs> just Maggie, get off. Good girl. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, before we begin, by the way, you probably already have an idea. What we're, you know what we're talking about because you, you you read the title anyway. Uh, before we begin our deliberations, quick patron plug, standard stuff. So by the time you're listening to this, you will also you will be able to listen to on our on our patron to the monthly bonus discussion that we did on Martin Ritz Ombre, which is in connection to the handful of episodes that are coming the week uh, after this. Uh, which is the Elmold Leonard connection. So we'll be talking about two Elmold Leonard adaptations on. Uh, the regular show, which will be 52 Pickup and Out of Sight. And this is a collab with Nick's own show with Death by Adaptation, where I'll be joining him as a, as a special guest, I suppose, to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Jackie Brown. Uh, and I can't wait. Uh, I read the book for this because, you know, like it's, it's, but you kind of have to because it's a show about books and movies. Anyway, uh, so this is available on the Patreon. Also on the Patreon, we just dropped, uh, at this point, we have just dropped the uh, mini retrospective for September, where we talk about three neo-noir films directed by the Coen brothers, which is Blood Simple, uh, Miller's Crossing, and The Man Who Wasn't There. So, you know, head over to patreon.com slash pod and support us with your hard-earned dinero. Three bucks a month unlocks access to everything we have in there, and then you'll be able to listen to our us argue about um, uh, Miller's Crossing being a masterpiece or not, and whether you should have a, a floppy pizza or, or maybe a pizza that kind of looks like a shoe. I don't know. Anyway, it's been, it was a discussion and a half. Anyway, so so stay tuned for that. And also, towards the end of the month, we will drop the uh, nine, the September installment of the David Lynch Marathon in there as well, which will concern the straight story. So that's the patron for September. And um, also, Randy, has you have some news as well. Yeah, just by way of an, an announcement and an update. So uh, two weeks ago on September 9th, uh, we were uh, partnering with... Classics at City Cinema in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Uh, they showed Freebie and the Bean. And on that same day, we released our uh, podcast discussion on Freebie and the Bean. And we also sponsored a giveaway. So I just wanted to announce that uh, we were giving away two t-shirts. And the winners of those t-shirts are 
Joey Wheel, and uh, Sarah Murnahan. So just congratulations to them and thank you for supporting the podcast. And uh, yeah, I will work to get those t-shirts to you because they are in my jurisdiction. So the cotton is forthcoming. Okay, massive congratulations. Thank you very much for everything. And then hopefully we'll, um, if, Lo- if Laurent is up to it, we might as well partner up once more at some point yeah. and do something else. It'll, yeah, it'll be amazing. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're heading to the 90s to go and getting on a boat with Meryl Streep. And if, if there is somewhere where I want to be with Meryl Streep, it's definitely a boat. Because, you know, I'm, I'm innocent. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're going to talk today about the River Wild. Come on, girl. Hey. What are you guys doing? We were just going to go on ahead and be by ourselves for a little bit. Oh. Yeah. It is our vacation, and we haven't been alone together all that much. Thought you guys were running out on us. No, uh uh-uh. I think that's exactly what they were doing, Terry. You're right. We were. It's, It's just not working out between us. Why is that? Because your son wants to be with me instead of you. Rourke, come here. Look, I'm taking my family and we're going to go down the river alone. That, that's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm sorry. But we'll send somebody back to get you. Who died and made you stud dick all of a sudden, Tom? You go get in the boat right now. Wade, rangers come down here all the time. You could hook up with one of them and get to Bridal Creek ahead of us. And what if I said, I'm not going to let you go? What would you do? The River Wild is directed by Curtis Hansen and written by a guy called Dennis O'Neill. And that, that was his debut script, as far as I remember. And the film stars Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, David Strathairn, John C. Riley, and Joseph Mazzello. And that's it. Like nobody else. The, the cast list is so short on this film that it, the costume designer and a production assistant got to be in the opening credits. Like the, just, just, <laughs> there's to, like 15 people <laughs> on screen the entire movie like 15 that's people it. at any that's given it. point yeah that's it and well there's ranger johnny mom and dad and yeah and then a, bu- and a bunch of people in like in a canoe or or, or uh, i don't know somewhere just like having a campfire that's it <laughs> oh no and the lady selling their med- med- medical kits um yes. and maps <laughs> Um, yeah, so anyway, so the film is a story about a family going on a rafting vacation where um, Gail, which is Mary, Meryl Streep, seeks to mend her fate in marriage to her to her workaholic husband, Tom. Uh, but their focus shifts to other worries when they uh, meet Wade and Terry, that's Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley, who tag along with them. And it quickly becomes apparent that they, uh, these two have ulterior motives. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and then the story goes from there. So uh, the movie, like, I don't have much of a spiel for this. So I will just, I will just quickly just, just, just quickly say the film was kind of shot on like three rivers in Kootenai River in Montana, somewhere in uh, Colorado River in uh, in Oregon, and another sort of middle fork of the uh, Flathead River in Montana. So it was all shot on location, as far as I recall. And um, the cast mostly did their own stunts because I think Kevin Bacon was even saying like he can't have stunt doubles for for a lot of it because it kind of looks like they're stunt doubles. Although Meryl Streep has had had a professional stunt double who was a professional, say like Whitewater pro, 
Um, current, at this point, I, I forgot her name. Kathleen something or Catherine something. I can't remember. Well, I'll get to it. Anyway, um, the film was, weirdly enough, was scored by Maurice Jarre. But they bend this the score, and they recently they have they, they hired Jerry Goldsmith to do the score again, and then that's 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 kind of useful piece of trivia, I suppose. Then we might as well get at some point. The film was slated for summer of nineteen ninety four, but they moved it to September to avoid clashing with Forrest Gump and uh, True Lies, which I suppose it was a good decision because these films were massive. Uh, did did some half decent money, I think ninety odd million on a forty five million dollar budget. Uh, however, critically, it was kind of sort of like uh, middle of the road. Some, but it was more or less across the board praise for cinematography, which was Robert Elswit uh, was behind the camera on this. So the score, pacing, direction, streets, and and Kevin Bacon's performance were also kind of just given tips of the hat. Ebert apparently also praised it for similar reasons, and he ha- and they all had problems with the plot being either predictable or just reheats of other films. Um, but 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 overall, people never like, critics didn't really have much of a problem with the movie as a whole. Uh, and I feel like it kind of slipped from the radar quite quickly, and now and became the sort of video curio for a, for a while. This was, this was, this was how I discovered the film. By the way, it was a video discovery for me uh, in the nineties. Um, and then just for some reason, it's not 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 talked about enough. Which brings us to here and now, where because we're talking about movies that nobody gives a shit about, and then here we are giving a shit, or at least trying. Jackson. Tell us, what do you think about the River Wild? Okay, Jakob, I have lots to unpack about some of the things you mentioned, Curtis Hansen, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, Meryl Streep, all that. But before that, coming back to me, I, I remember seeing this poster and the trailer before it came out, and I was a sucker for like a Trouble in Paradise thriller. And this was something that fit right into that that vein. Uh, I did see it in the theaters when it came out. And the funny thing is, at whatever it was, 11 or 12 years old, I think at that time, this and Death Becomes Her were the only films of Meryl Streep's uh, that I was aware of. And so Ooh. take that in mind. I'm, I'm like, yes, I'm all in on Meryl Streep at that point. And then the next year, The Bridges of Madison County comes out and I'm like, mm, no, thanks. I'm going to go see judge. <laughs> uh, but thanks. Such Clint. is, such <laughs> is the, uh, judgment of a 13 year old boy. So that was where I was coming to the film at that age. Needless to say, I was, I was enthralled by, by this then. And over the years, I've always remembered this being a really reliable, consistent thriller it just checks off all the boxes for me. I'm really surprised that it didn't do uh, better critically. And, you know, I, I think over the years, almost every time I've brought this up in film circles or with friends or online, it always gets glowing praise. Everyone's always like, I love that movie. It was great. The performances are great. Curtis Hansen just nailing it. And, and yet somehow it gets sort of talked about a lot less. Obviously, in the context of Streep's career, but we can get into that in a minute. But yeah, for me, that's how I first uh, was introduced to the River Wild. Awesome. So you're a fan. I'm super happy to hear this. <laughs> Randy, now, <laughs> can I just break my heart? <laughs> well, 
hearts. I can smell it from here. He's going to rip our hearts out and toss them into the river like a waterproof camera. Come on, Wade. And Wade. dig it Slap out me. and smash it on a rock, no less. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I saw this in theaters in 1994. I was in university and I enjoyed it at the time. I do recall that it's a... Uh, it was a, I'm pretty sure it was a September release. And like you had mentioned, uh, Jakob, just in the, the opening that it was sort of bumped around its release date. So I'm pretty sure it was released in September, if I'm not mistaken. And it made a little bit of money in September, which was sort of unheard of at the time. I think it made 40 million in North America. I don't know how much it made overseas. I, mean, I think 90 overall, I think. So yeah, it's usually half in North America and half <clears throat> elsewhere. So that makes... Uh, total sense. So that's pretty good coin actually for a September release. So you know, I'll just throw that out there now. We'll probably talk about its sort of position in the action movie landscape of the the mid nineties. But mm-hmm. I saw this and I was fairly aware of this. And when I saw it at the time, I thought, yeah, that's that's a pretty good film. And but at the same time, I was sort of with the critics who said, yeah, it's good, but it's going to be forgettable. And that's where the film has been with me fond memories i remember liking it you know i don't actually didn't remember a whole lot of it but i remembered liking it and it being a positive experience and it was you know serviceable yet a little bit forgettable but now upon this watching yeah i'm i'm all in i think this is a really solid film i have a few little beefs with it uh we'll, we'll get into that like i see curtis hansen as he's a filmmaker who uh, you said this, Jackson, he's just consistent. He makes solid films. I, I watched LA Confidential not too terribly long ago. Um, I also watched Eight Mile a couple weeks ago. Not necessarily flashy. Like in preparation or just just because you felt like Eminem or in Kim, Kim Basinger. <laughs> just, just like, I feel like I'm watching poor people rap. <laughs> Uh, no, that was, uh, eight mile was a watch that, uh, I watched with my, my son. So anyway, he wanted to watch something rappy and I thought, well, this is rappy and I haven't seen it in a while. And, uh, anyway, so he quite liked it and, uh, I did as well. I think that's sort of another one that, uh, you know, we could discuss at length, but, Mm -hmm. but anyway, we're not here to talk about those. One day. Um, we're here to talk about the river wild and it's just another entry in this man's filmography. He was just consistent. And I think as a director who isn't usually, you know, uh, directing his own, his own scripts, I, I think that, you know, sometimes you get some weaknesses that come from the script that make their way into, uh, his films. I think there's probably some of that here. Uh, but yeah, no, this, this is very solid. This is a really good vehicle for Streep at the time. I think that she is fantastic here and I think it's an, an excellent career choice. You know, Streep is an action lead makes sense. So you, you know, you're starting to have a couple actresses join the A list and, you know, like I'm thinking of Sandra Bullock at the time and, uh, Julia Roberts. So they're starting to become, uh, things, maybe even, uh, Meg Ryan and let's put Streep in more of a genre piece. That that makes sense. I think that's a really good career move at the time. Bacon as a villain also works from the perspective of looking at his career, and he's also great. But I'll say this. I think this movie belongs to David Strathairn, and I hope we talk about him. Mm-hmm. I think he's really, really good in here. I, I think this is his film in some ways. Um, I do have a few problems and certainly some of the complaints that, you know, there's some cliches in here. 
I, I think the film can't shake loose some of these cliches. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a momentum based uh, set piece driven joyride like speed is where it's constantly moving. So it has some time to settle down and the cliches take hold. And that can be a little bit, that can be a little bit of a problem with it, but it's a really good film and it's an interesting film in the action genre in the nineties. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. So no broken hearts. No, no, not at all. I, I, one thing, one thing you mentioned was that it, it actually kind of came through with a, a okay, you know, modest success in September. Do you know what this movie opened against guys? Oh, uh, not 94. No, not it it had a pretty, a pretty, uh, even spread. So it was in September, uh, mm-hmm. September 30 of 94 against Ed Wood and the scout. Oh, so there, oh. I mean, it had the weekend, you know, I mean, Ed Wood, obviously mm-hmm. there was some counter programming there, but I mean, I think this was, yeah, this was great. I, um, Jakob, you were going to say something. I mean, no, it was just like, it was, it feels like it was sort of early positioning for even the awards season. Maybe they, someone had a conversation about maybe Meryl Streep having a go. Oh yeah. Sense. And, and the crazy thing about this movie is that, um, you know, it didn't win any awards, but Streep and Bacon both received Golden Globe nominations for it. Mm-hmm. And then Streep received a SAG nomination at the first SAG Awards. And mm-hmm. and normally, I, you know, I'm not an awards expert, but I've always heard that usually when you get both of those, it's an indicator that you're going to get an Oscar nomination. I mean, yeah, but that kind of comes up. I think it's statistically over time. It kind of looks like um, it's it's like the other way around as in like, well, it it looks like people who well people who get us I think uh, best best actor Oscar nomination they're highly likely to have to have already received these two mm-hmm. so it's so it, it's just a cor- it's a correlation not causation sort of situation right yeah uh, anyway we'll get to it in a second yeah um, that brings the, that brings the conversation around to me and um, I'll be honest with you boys the River Wild is one of those films that when I was Coming up with this idea for the show, I was just like, I really wanted to talk about these films that kind of just like are kind of just near and dear to me. And this is one of the, this was one of those films. Like the first twenty that I was just writing down, just I want to kind of just talk about them because this was an early discovery for me. I was very young, very very young, and I discovered this on video, and uh, it just banged. It's just such a good movie, and I, I watched it. I don't know a number of times. This has been on rotation when in my through my teens. This was just great. When I saw this of the tip of Meryl Streep's boat in the beginning, when as she's just chasing a train, I was just I'm on. I'm in. I'm on board, baby. This is this is amazing, and this has essentially become a comfort food watch for me. I could do anything. I can just put it on and then have a good time. Like yesterday. I came back from the gym at 11 p.m., mind you, and I just decided, well, I, I still I need to kind of squeeze in the River Wild somehow in here. So I sat down like quarter past past 11, and then at my age, I would probably fall asleep halfway through. Nope, fully alert. When you know when when Kevin Bacon gets a bullet in the chest, I'm like, no, nope, still good, still this is this is <laughs> this is great. And then just a little fun fact, I think well, we did for Clapper some time ago, uh, the top 100 list, and it was on there. It's it's I think number 70 something on my top 100 favorite films of all time. That's how much I like this movie. Uh, 
I really appreciate like Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon. I think this, this may have been the first Kevin Bacon film I've seen at that time because I don't think I would have seen Footloose at a ripe age of 10 or 11 because it was just people dancing go away. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Speed was where it was at. Um, um, so I really enjoyed this film and it's one of those films that um, like my, my dad would call, oh, there's a lot of green in it. That means it's awesome because he likes these adventure films. I think it sort of the, the sort of the adventure bug I kind of may, may have inherited genetically because it's a it's a man against nature against man type of film and I've and you can't go wrong with this for me. That's kind of how I end up end up kind of liking like just animal attack movies in general because there is an, a nature element in them. So call me biased, I don't care. But the movie just rocks for me and I can watch it tomorrow and I'll still have just as much fun as I did yesterday and I'll probably even have more fun because, you know, every every time i watch this i discover something new some some new little bits of nuance that are just kind of interesting for me uh so here here here's where i am i love this jackson loves this and then randy uh he's you're closet hating it you just don't want to admit it we're just going to find out in two seconds no no i'm a i'm a i'm a solid like but i acknowledge i'm pulling up the rear I mean, I mean, I had to find something for my bottom list anyway. So there's there's stuff I can I can pull out, but it's one of those where it's like a I don't know a little bit more tongue in cheek. But anyway, I have a thing that one of one of the sort of interesting wrinkles. I mean, there's there's a few, but one of the wrinkles we could possibly lead lead with is something that kind of possibly relates to the present day and the fact maybe that this film isn't talked about enough, in my opinion at least, because recently, I mean, we've I mean. Oh, Here's Jakob on the bingo card moaning about prey again, right? But <laughs> it's just like there is ever since I want to say like the last ten years, there's been a massive um, sort of push for female-centric uh, action films because we like someone's someone's realized that you know like we we don't really have too many sort of female sort of action action heroes to choose from, and um, so there's this there's this push to kind of just well let's 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 move the needle a, a little bit to the right and, and if, if, if you know what i mean meanwhile there are, there are films where you could actually find a very substantial female lead that also is an action hero and i this this would be sort of my sort of hypothesis in there that meryl streep qualifies in this film what do you guys think about meryl streep and, the, and her character in general in the context of say in the mid '90s, being an action hero, hopefully I, I see it the right way. Uh, and then, how do you, where do you stand on Meryl Streep in in this sort of context? Not as because she was she was a she was a big drama star. Like she, I'm not sure if she got an Oscar for Kramer versus Kramer at the time. Possibly, yeah. She not sure. She had yes. two Oscars yeah, I believe... at this point. She had two Oscars yeah. already, so she she was a dramatically accomplished. Out of Africa was another. I think she got an mm-hmm. Oscar for right. Yeah, I mean, she she has twenty one Academy Award nominations and three wins. Yeah, seventy nine, eighty, twenty two, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, eighty six, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety one, and then ninety six <laughs> from the British for Madison County. <laughs> so, and but then okay, she would have been the Deer Hunter, Kramer versus Kramer, the French Lieutenant's Woman, Sophie's Choice, Silkwood, Out of Africa, Ironweed, uh, Evil's Angels, Postcards, Postcards from the Edge, and then so they're all dramas, most of them at least. And then here she oh, is yeah, in a yeah. in a family adventure film uh, with a, some kind of a Hitchcockian thriller slant. I want to say, how do you guys feel about Meryl Streep doing that kind of role? And and maybe how does it fit in this sort of context of like maybe this movie should be rediscovered in this context as well? Thoughts? 
Well, for me, I mean, looking at the the start of her career with things like The Deer Hunter mm-hmm. and Kramer versus Kramer, and then moving into the 80s, she really started to make her bread and butter with these dramatic roles, Sophie's Choice, Silkwood. And then she reached what I would consider, I think, her apex or of success in that decade with Out of Africa. I think that was certainly mm-hmm. the most financially successful of them. But then... You know, you, you had a lot of accents, you had a lot of melodrama, and it started to become maybe a little overused or to the point where it was a, almost like a criticism against her, where it's like, let's see a different side of this. Um, that's that's what I've heard. Again, I came to those movies much later in life. And so mm-hmm. I think in the moment, that was sort of the conversation in the late 80s. I actually really enjoyed a few of the ones that she did later in that decade, like uh uh, was it Heartburn with uh, Nicholson, the, the mm-hmm. Mike Nichols film? That was great. Mm-hmm. And then I think she she made this career shift as a response and started doing things like She Devil in 89 and then um, Postcards Good from point. the Edge in 90 yeah. and then Death Becomes Her in 92, which were all very different than what she had done for that entire past decade. And then you get to... You know, these films are, are are commenting on women dealing with, you know, careers and aging and beauty. And it's just something different than what she had done. But finally, now with 94, she takes the River Wild. And this, you know, then it was the most interesting decision to me. Now it's still, I think, the most interesting decision of her career. That's not to say they're, you know, these bigger, more acclaimed films were not better. It's just this one really... Uh, hit with me and resonated and from what I've always heard it was based on the encouragement of her kids and mm-hmm. they told her hey mom you should do this because it's requiring a lot of physical action it's something different than you've done and you know she she decided to try it out um, and uh, you're watching it now uh, I wish she had done more films like this earlier in her career I wish she had branched out into genre. I mean, can you guys imagine in the 80s uh, a Meryl Streep, John Carpenter film? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or or yeah. maybe yeah. if in the 90s she had returned to this and did something with like Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, there yeah. are just so many scenarios that could be so interesting with Streep continuing to say, okay, I'm going to push myself. Um, and I really think when you give her the quality material, it doesn't really matter the genre if you have a strong director. I mean, you could see her in yeah. something like Top Gun instead of Kelly Magellis or in Days of Thunder instead of Nicole Kidman. Although, I don't know. I don't know if she would have been too old for this at this uh, because I think she would have been already in her 30s. And I think the allure of these roles were that these people are very, very, very young. But yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think, too, like if you if you look at the 80s, what you have is you have you have a system that is looking for the male lead. Like there are very few uh, women leads at all. So if you, yeah, Meryl Streep would be great in Top Gun, but she's the supporting player and she builds this reputation um, basically starting in New Hollywood. And then she's Mm -hmm. doing those leftover New Hollywood types of films throughout the eighties and getting her, getting her Oscar nominations and, you know, that sort of thing. But there aren't really many, she's an A-list actress, but she's not, the lead of a genre film, you know, and there's very few examples of that, maybe Sigourney Weaver. But I think when you get the 1990s come along and you have Julia Roberts and you have more, 
I'll, I'll say creativity amongst uh, Hollywood studios in terms of we, we need to do something different here than the 1980s formulas. I think the 1980s were all about finding out a blockbuster formula and then repeat, you know, so you, you have a lot of repetition in the 80s for better or worse. And then you have more innovation come along in the 90s. And I think one of those innovations is, oh, my God, people really like this Julia Roberts. So let's put her in everything. And Julia Roberts, right after uh, Pretty Woman, does Sleeping with the Enemy. So she's in a genre piece. And I think Sandra Bullock's career, she sort of starts off um, with uh, her her break break is Speed. But yeah, Demolition Man, but Speed is what makes her a star. But then she's branching off into other genres as well right like so she does the mm-hmm. the net in there and uh like two if by sea and while you were sleeping like she's got so it's she bouncing from kill? genres i think she's on time to kill. time yes. to kill as well yes. and see that's an emerging trend the the legal thriller the uh john grisham so and you're getting female leads for that and then you've got um you know ashley judd and double jeopardy and these these types of <laughs> Uh, thrillers. You have Sharon Stone has a three, four, five window where she's an A-list bankable actress. Same with uh, Demi Moore. So it makes sense in the '90s because the industry is going there um, to have a female lead. Uh, so I don't think the River Wild with Meryl Streep ever happens in the '80s, just because with systemic. Uh, sexism, we'll, we'll say this, the industry's not ready for that. Even though if it had happened, if someone had taken that risk, probably you get a favorable result if you have a you know a good director like Hanson or someone else that can control this. Um, so I, I think, and, that, and that's, I guess, sort of what I was alluding to when I say this is an interesting and it's a solid career choice for Streep at the time, just angling herself because she has done the other stuff. And, and Jackson, I think you hit it on the head. I think that we see evidence that... Um, Meryl Streep, she has been a huge success. She is an A-list actress, but she's not an mm-hmm. actress that's probably commanding three, four, five million per picture. She just probably isn't because her films aren't aren't making that uh, aren't making that back. Although she is, you know, like a prestige actress at the time. So, what can she do with her agent and just being the person she is in Hollywood? What can she do to push her? push yourself forward genre film so great take she devil and postcards on the edge it totally makes sense that she is putting herself out there different types of films different types of films that are bankable genres even though uh, i don't think postcards from the edge made too much and she devil i think was a total flop um Mm -hmm. but she's putting herself out there uh i think for that diversity on her resume and to you know because these projects could be potential hits. So she could not just be an esteemed actress. She could also be, you know, Sigourney Weaver and aliens, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. she is, she's making that play in this at this point. And I think that's what this, this film is. I mean, even, you know, Linda Hamilton in Terminator and T2, that's kind Mm -hmm. of setting up, like you're saying this, this era of, Oh, we can have, you know, a leading woman in an Mm -hmm. action picture. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know that that was set up with uh, in, with her more of a, a supporting character in T two, but still it's 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 there and it's I think changing the conversation that made the River Wild probably an easier thing to happen in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What interesting wrinkle, especially when you mentioned T2, for instance, because I'm trying to kind of just position my thinking on this. And then it's an, it's an interesting wrinkle when you think about what Linda Hamilton in, say, the first Terminator, she was a very, um, um, let's, let's just call it an effeminate hero, right? She was still a very much a woman. So, I mean, she's kind of just in the film, she's transitioning from a damsel in distress to uh, saving the day, right? Which essentially is, uh, I don't want to say a copy paste, but it's a, I think it's a bit of a sort of like a ripple effect of um, of um, Ellen Ripley in in uh, in, mm-hmm. in Alien, which because in in Alien Ripley kind of comes out of nowhere. She's not a, a leading yeah. star in the film. She just yeah. She I don't even know if she's like the third build, fourth build in the film, and she kind of comes out of nowhere as like well, she's the only one left. <laughs> yeah. So from waiters to warrior type uh, of thing. Yeah, yeah, but in T two, for instance, in weirdly enough, I think in T two she was almost marketed to be a like she was she got buff, she got jacked, like she was on these sort of covers of these sort of um, like fitness magazines. She had abs and she had biceps, so she she was almost it was almost like Hollywood was trying to kind of like, well, we need to take this woman and make her into an action hero, and then what should we do to achieve that? Oh, of course, turn her into a man, right? In a way, kind of this because she's a very sort of like she she's militaristic in the film. She's um, she's into guns and she well she's very sort of self sustaining in in that regard. She doesn't need anybody's help. She's all she's all by herself on 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 this and that's you know very sort of independent. But she still kind of just is sort of painted into this sort of corner of trying to pretend she's a guy, right? Whereas Meryl Streep in something like The River Wild, she's still very much a woman, and she kicks ass. Yeah. Yeah, and she she kicks ass not just because of you know what she can do and that she's in this like physical shape, but she's also you know she has this psychological advantage over Kevin Bacon and John mm-hmm. C. Riley, and she's you, you constantly see this interplay happening where it's like what I know, and there's even you know we'll we'll get into it later in some of the scenes these moments where she calls them on it. And, and they need her and she's and she's confident and comfortable on the water in the way that no one else is mm-hmm. um yeah she's a competent professional and then yeah also um, and i've been like while well, you guys were talking about this and kind of just divulging this sort of her filmography and then and seeing how she's kind of coming from this sort of extremely dramatic sort of background so she's an accomplished accomplished a-lister with two oscars she would be the equivalent of i don't know jack nicholson just randomly doing Die Hard after after winning for like I don't know winning Oscars and then just because he has won for every decade, <laughs> just having starred in with in with Bob Rafelson and Stanley Kubrick and then now he's doing a doing doing a I don't know Die Hard or Commando right um, that would be the sort of the equivalent she's almost stooping down to a genre level and then when you look through her filmography after that she's back to these sort of these schmaltzy bridges of Madison County, Julie and Julia, sort of like she she kind of just finds this groove of this being being this sort of this quirky lady, and I'm just wondering like because some, I think Randy you touched on this of call call it systemic sexism, like when when you talk about uh, when we talk about sort of the female action hero when you think about how how sort of the game is rigged against this sort of concept taking hold is because they the window for for female actress, actors to actually, uh, almost said female actresses, <laughs> uh, to, to accomplish it is extremely small because 
well, mm-hmm. and I think Meryl Streep is more of an exception in this because she was in her mid forties when she started this, and she, she, I think she just has this sort of physique uh, and maybe genes that she does not look like she's mid forties. Right, right. But I, yeah. I think that maybe the, maybe she did this um, also with the knowledge that that window was closing, mm-hmm. and if she wanted to ever do something like this, she should that do was it, it now. Yeah, because um, then she's just like the Iron Lady. After that, she's she's essentially just confined to to playing the villain and the devil wears Prada, and then eventually to be Margaret Thatcher, right? Because no, like I don't know, Roger Moore couldn't can be James Bond at sixty five, whereas you couldn't imagine, uh, like I don't know, uh, Kim Basinger being uh, being an action heroine at 65 there's just no way you could yeah. you could see this in hollywood then people would just say no this is not going to sell tickets for some reason and then this is not going to happen and we'll never know whether it will sell tickets because that does that doesn't happen and the vicious circle just closes right yeah yeah i i'm trying to think of a like a good comp for this today but i i think it's it's a miracle that meryl streep did this because you don't get films like this um, of this genre and this nature made with this level of talent where there there's so much going on with with their acting that is beyond the action of the film um, today I mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about like today you make this it's probably going to be some and and they are remaking this you guys yes. know that right yeah. uh, so but we, these we, people are very very young as well it's like about these yeah. 20 odd year olds right yeah it's it's they've changed the story quite a bit but I'm I'm thinking if if you make this today um, with the exact same story, it probably is is somebody like I don't know. I'm throwing someone out there like Rachel McAdams or somebody like that is in the mm-hmm. mother role. She's Rebecca early Hall. For, she's early forties. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, this is not a knock against Rachel McAdams, um, but you're just not getting the same fireworks that you got in this, and that's why it was a miracle that that Streep did it. Yeah, and and I would add to that if if you make this today. It's a twenty twenty five million dollar budget tops, and it's for streaming. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. unless you can do it for five million, then you might squeak it into theaters, well, right? Yeah, actually, I think the way they're doing it, I mean, they're probably doing it for five five million because whoever's casting it, I don't really recognize too many of these names, and they're shooting it in like Estonia or Slovenia somewhere, so yeah. probably on the cheap. Uh, so, but then if you if you think about say A listers. Which is weird enough. I could honestly imagine doing this, the remake of this with Sandra Bullock now, because she she also yeah. has weirdly enough she has the uh, the genes. I think that she could convince film producers that she's still she, that she's still forty five, because she just looks stunning at I don't know what her age is like. She's probably late fifties now, right? Yeah. Or Bullock could probably. Bullock could probably pull it off still. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'd, I'd go and see this. Come on, <laughs> it's just you know, um, yeah. And I don't know. I just, I, I just, I just think it's a fascinating example of a, uh, like a genre film. It's a, it's a, it's actually it's completely accessible. It's not like it's R rated. It's you can take your whole family to see this. There's literally just, I don't know, two scenes of violence and one f bomb. So, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Was it PG thirteen? Yes. Yeah, so. it yeah. was. And yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, like like Jakob was saying, I was coming back to this as I was watching the film. Intensity without brutality. And this film has 
a lot of intense moments, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of, you know, grotesque violence or gore. You know, there, you know, it rips with suspense throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, but it stays, it maintains uh, a thriller throughout um, and keeps things going even without brutality. Speaking of the suspense, by the way, just I, I thought I might as well use it as a segue. What do you guys think about the story in general? Because I think the main accusation was that, oh, it's uh, we've seen this before, right? I don't think I have. Maybe, but then again, I haven't seen like Whitewater Summer, which I think where I think Kevin Bacon also play, played a villain during a white whitewater rafting sort of vacation. Uh, so the the sort of concept I find interesting of this 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 sort of family coming across these two initially three people. Uh, and then slowly peeling away these sort of f- f- very intricately, intricately foreshadowed uh, mystery of who these people are and what their intentions are. What do you guys think about the sort of the story? Well, I, I almost said story B because story B is the drama between David Strathairn and and the series. story A. So I suppose like, what do you guys think about how how this thing I'll, is kind of put together? I'll, I'll throw a comment in here. I don't know if either of you guys saw this way. And honestly, I think this is Jakob sort of rubbing off on me. I saw this somewhat like a Western, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so that... My work here is done. <laughs> so Jakob thinks everything is a Western. God love him. So anyway, I see this a little bit as a Western. They're, they're traversing nature and they're on a mission. They're, you know... There are no little towns along the way and their raft is their stagecoach. And there's these basically these bandits and there's a kid in there and there's a six shooter and drama and stolen money mm-hmm. from a cattle auction, too. I, yeah, see, <laughs> this, is, this is a book waiting to be written. Every movie is a Western and then just just have I, I, I'm going to edit this at some point. Just hire get, just put out, a, 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 I don't know, an ad want to write an essay about a film you love just convince me it's a western right just so and then just let's do a hundred of them and then i'm gonna i'm gonna release it on amazon and no one's gonna read it because no one reads these days <laughs> so yeah like the old disney cartoons there's a little devil and there's a uh little angel well now there's a little Jacob that's chirping in my ear this could western. be a western it's probably a western randy I mean, at there, it again. <laughs> if you think about it, there's on your on your other shoulder, there's there, there's a different Jakob going like, this is also a Hitchcockian thriller if you think about it. <laughs> oh yeah, that you know, aside from the Western points, which I think I agree with Randy fully on the cattle um, auction. Come on, like it's it yeah, writes it, itself. It's, it cattle has, auction and one six shooter. <laughs> yes. it, it has all the Hitchcock elements as well, which Curtis Hansen has gone on record saying that he was influenced heavily by by Hitchcock and it has like um, the shadow of a doubt moment yeah yeah Uh, when Kevin Bacon's just ogling Meryl Streep as she's taking a bath and then she's taking these massive massive undies (laughs) it's just and he's just sitting there under a tree and then you can see the lightning and strikes and he kind of of looks like this sort of weird sort of creepy uncle in (laughs) shadow of a doubt it's the it's the moments of there being this implicit uh menace this mm-hmm. this implicit mm-hmm. uh you know sort of sinister nature just bubbling under the surface the entire time even but be- even before that we find out that john c Riley and kevin bacon are criminals and that they have ill intent 
Mm-hmm. It's just from the moment that Kevin Bacon uh, connects with Joseph Mazzello on the shore there at the beginning, you sense it. There's there's something about him, the way he's he's asking questions and he's prodding. And it, yeah, everything about it just felt like the Alfred Hitchcock onion mm-hmm. and we're just peeling back the layers scene by scene. The The moment that kind of sells me on, I mean, basically just sends you into this different mode for me at least, it is, um, I mean, basically just like lights up this sort of little little light in your head saying like something's not right with this guy is Joseph Mazzello makes a comment about his hat. He's like, oh, do you see the concert? Uh, how uh, did you like the concert? He was like, what? What concert? Which immediately just lets you know, why does he not know? He's wearing a Lollapalooza hat. He should know. And it's clearly not his hat, right? Yeah. He picked yeah. it up from a guy he killed or something to that effect, right? So, and then he immediately thinks like, "What's wrong with him?" And then, then he shows. Then you see the guy in the boat. He's all like, "I got a cramp," and he's just he keeps having this cramp, and he's just, it's just what what's wrong? And then there's the dog find, finding something in the forest, and it just builds and builds and builds, and it's just I don't know, it's textbook stuff, but it works. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think, think that was some... all. Oh, go ahead, Randy. Well, I was just gonna say like, and there's some there's some further sly elements because it continues to build and build and build. And now this is getting closer to, you know, for sure that this is the reveal of exactly who these ding dongs are is the, the business with um, giving $200 to Mazzello just as a, an arbitrary birthday present. I think mm-hmm. that's a nice weird little moment, but it's sort of a, a bit of a capper for me on all these little odd reveals about these characters. Like this is sort of building the, the oddness and the eeriness of, of these guys. Well, Oh, Happy birthday, kid! Here's two fresh hundreds. Very weird, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Does yeah. does the um, drowning situation happen before that? I think it does, right? Because they they meet together. And it's like, oh, we we thought we'll flag yeah. you down because we saw this, right? That just the big ra- the big rapids. Yeah. And yeah. then there's a moment when David Strathair and just goes and finally does something, right? Because he has he he has he has this sort of beta energy, for lack of a better sort of word, that he's the sort of emasculated nerd. And he goes like, no, I'm going to save the day because my wife's just piloting the boat. Someone has to do this. He jumps and then he, he's trying to save Kevin Bacon's character. And then there's also this sort of this sinister sort of undertone in there. It looks like Kevin Bacon's actively trying to drown him. Did yeah. you guys get it as yeah. well? Or am I just yeah. seeing things? I think that was um, that was intentional because it's it's almost like a is he or isn't he? Is he just reacting? What is going on? And it's it's left up to you, but it's highly implied that Kevin Bacon is trying to pull uh, David mm-hmm. Strathairn's character mm-hmm. Tom down in the water, likely to murder him. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Kevin Bacon, his performance in this is the other big capper for me. The three mm-hmm. leads I would say are, you know, obviously Streep, Bacon, and Strathairn. The wild thing about this movie is that in 1994, it is a Bacon-Streep uh, project and now it's a stacked cast from top to bottom. If you're looking at it through the 2022 lens, because mm-hmm. yeah. you know you have Benjamin Bratt, you have a John C. Riley, who I had I had forgotten until probably five or six years ago was in this. A young yeah. John C. Riley, and before then, Boogie Nights, <laughs> yeah, before yeah. Boogie Nights, yeah. before everything, and then no, um, was it after Hard Eight? Was he already? Oh, he did Hard Days Eight of Thunder was... before this, and Casualties of War. 
Like he's, right. he'd been around. True. He was yes. he was a yes. working, but he's he always under man, the radar. Yeah. He always right. kind of slips by. Yeah, <laughs> until until Paul Thomas Anderson and Sydney and and then Boogie Nights and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Kevin Bacon just doing incredible work here. I I had seen Footloose prior to this, um, and I think I had seen Tremors and Flatliners as well. So mm-hmm. I was familiar with Bacon making these interesting choices and exploring genre a little bit. He always registered to me as a guy who was teetering between supporting character actor and leading man, where he Mm -hmm. would bounce between these two categories. You would Mm -hmm. see him in something like he said, she said, and then he would go back into something like a supporting role in JFK or a few good men. Then he'd do something like the air up there with Disney. And then a couple of years later, he'd go back to murder in the first and yeah. all of these interesting, weird choices, but I've never liked him as much as when he's playing a villain. And I think this mm-hmm. was where that started for me. Uh, he did he did a phenomenal job in Sleepers, just a, uh-huh. a crazy mm-hmm. character there. Um, Hollow Man, even in a bad movie like Hollow Man. Maybe this is where Jakob oh, and I. Yeah, now you guys are going to fight. Yeah. You stay okay. away from Hollow okay, Man. Not, not, okay, <laughs> not a bad movie. <laughs> um, but anyway. How long ago have you seen Hollow Man? Like just, I, I do need to revisit Hollow Man. I'll admit. You do I, need to revisit. And then one, once, once you've done this, just like scroll down on the feed and then just listen to our conversation on this as okay. well. This is amazing. Come on. Okay. So, <laughs> so Hollow Man also, I mean, he does incredible work in that as well. And then more recently, if I was going to recommend anyone watch a recent film of, uh, or in the last couple of years, is uh, Cop Car. I have never yeah. seen this, for Christ's sake. Cop Car is a good one. <laughs> good okay, call. Goes on, goes yeah. on the list. How, I need to see where I can and see this. And he is doing great work. Uh, this this is in the DNA of that, is, is mm-hmm. the River Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so many scenes where Bacon is just, and we can get into them as we, as we go through the plot, but... Yeah, I was very, very happy with that. And oh, boom! Oh no, it's not. But, but like Randy said, uh, David Strathairn is kind of the low-key MVP of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to say it. I'll, I'll sort of jump in and champion the man here. Like to to me, as I watch this, I feel now as as much as I love Streep and her role here, the character that actually develops, the one with an arc, the one that grows, and the one I care the most about. And here it is, the one who should be the lead <laughs> rather than <laughs> Streep in a way is probably Strathairn because there's this whole thematic element of the, the vision quest, the, the First Nations uh, vision quest, go off and discover yourself and find, you know, find what's really important and go that route and your, you know, mm-hmm. your life will fall out. That's Strathairn. That's not Streep. That has yep. nothing to do with uh, the the conflict between the the family and the the robbers, the bandits. It's in Strathairn's character. So to me, the the big beef I have after watching this that would have made this just more solid for me is if we're dwelling on Strathairn rather than having an opening following Streep rowing through through boston if we follow him at the office or oh you know, how great would be would that be you know just instead of hand rowing all you see is just him just drawing yeah profusely beauty 
and yeah. aggressive, aggressively drawing. And I have a note on this, by the way. And he's he like, oh, breaks Sauvage. his pencil. Yeah, Salvaggio <laughs> hates my drawings. <laughs> he's just going at the paper, just scratching and breaking pencils. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then he's, how, he's he's walking through a, a a building under construction with a hard hat and a suit and pointing to rafters. That's the opening that we need because just, then it's thematically it's on target. But then, no, but then no, it makes sense because she's the alpha in the in the relationship, right? And she does not like the fact that she is, right? Yeah. I it makes sense because he needs to be the beta who just joins his lioness at the top and then they're just uh, when they work together things happen i think that's the that's the, that's his arc it's not like there's just now i'm now i'm dominating this no no they're just they're, they're perfect equals at the end of this film it's brilliant he, his then, character yeah. says that he's trying to make her proud and he's yes. trying to to meet the high expectations that she has of him because and... you can see that she's this sort of the a uh, the Taipei sort of go-getter sort of person. Like you can see that she's like, yeah. I, I used to be a guide. I used to be this crazy person who just ran the gauntlet with two other guys and whatever. And then she put Ranger Johnny to bed and whatever. Right? Yeah. But then you can see that yeah. there's this sort of power imbalance in their in the relationship. And she's not happy with the fact that it, that it is. And she can't see that that she's effectively not uh, giving his her husband this sort of the space to exist and then spread his wings a little bit because... He's intimidated by her in a way. Yeah. Do you well, guys think that Strathairn gets the credit he deserves in Hollywood? In Hollywood now? No. Not anymore. Yeah, over the course of his career. No, probably I he, not. I think he I think may have been there may have been a small window where I think he got a little bit of a recognition, I think, where with I think Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah, because yeah, he, he was I, Oscar nominated for that. So that was the sort of time it was I that was his bubble like, where yeah. is it like early two thousands? Yeah, I think that's think when so, people yeah. started paying attention, like who weren't in on some of these other roles. I remember seeing him in like Memphis Bell and A League of Their Own. Sneakers. And, um, sneakers. Yeah, he he is so Did you great. Notice the lines, but yeah. by the way, in here, I found your sneakers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. He just I love grins it. at him. He's just like, oh, is this is this Adlib on on set? And he's just like, very funny, Meryl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Which, and this is the role that popped for me. This is the one that I remembered him for for years, and then he came back up and Good Night and Good, good Luck, and a, and a bunch of other things where he's playing uh, supporting or characters. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that you know, in a way, similarly Richard Jenkins. If you look at his filmography, been around forever finally got you know some uh festival and award season love with the visitor and then he ends up on people's uh radars and he's you know a, a solid supporting presence and he's he's getting a lot more uh gigs and he's a you know a little bit of a name and but you know there's a guy who's been around forever as well so you know Strathairn, yeah he's, he's one of those guys he's sort of memorable it's it's in a way he's less plain you know that's sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe a bad way to say it like he's he's a little bit more like you know dignified he's got a notable voice and you know he's got sort of the dark handsome and even salt and pepper type of attractiveness i suppose so it's a wonder that maybe he didn't you know but he's surface a, nerd. a little bit sooner he has these, he has these sort of wireframe glasses and you yeah. know and yeah see, he's uh, i mean jenkins i think i mean culturally speaking i'm sorry for bargaining i'm so sorry sorry <laughs> Don't you think that it's like for someone like Jenkins? Um, 
I think a lot of his current allure now rests with the fact that he was a very sort of minor character in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wasn't that him? Richard was. Jenkins? Yeah, wasn't that was him? He, was he in the MCU? Oh, come on. I need to... Uh, uh, I mean, I may have to retract my statement because I have a feeling. Was he in the Avengers? I don't. Or, or maybe oh, I'm, no. Um, no, you're thinking or, of... Or maybe I'm thinking, thinking of, of like Cabin in, in the Woods. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in, in the Woods, yes. Okay. Because he, he has this sort of meme. Right, right. He, he, he was almost a meme for a while. And I was just... He, I remember him in a suit and I was just like, was he in one of these sort of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, like, no, he wasn't. He was in that, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. yeah. That's around the time that of The Visitor, right? So he was Oscar nominated think for that. so, yes. Like that'd be similarly timed, like go back 10, 12 years. So um, anyway, like I, I'm happy for people like David Strathairn, like the, the mm-hmm. journeymen and the hard workers that are out there that are, you know, putting the time in and they're, you know, taking jobs on wherever they can get them and they're rising above, like they're, they're, you know, they're the cream that's, that's sort of floating to the top. And then, you know, they have late, late career renaissances of sorts. And I'm, I'm super happy, happy for them, you know? So, but yes, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, it's just luck though. Like there's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of talented people around that don't get there, that don't get their day or that, you know, forever live in TV and commercials and whatever. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm glad someone like Strathairn and mm-hmm. Jenkins is a comp that they, they have their moments. I mean, coming back to the character of, of, of Strathairn, as in uh, the, uh, oh, his name is Tom. Tom. Right. Yeah. I, I, what, what, what do you guys think about this? Sort of, because I think you've, you've, you've both touched on his, he, he's the one having an arc. And then, mm-hmm. so why, okay, well, not, not why, because it's just, okay, well, it, it, it makes it even more interesting when you think about this. The leading person, the leading actress in the film, she doesn't necessarily have an arc. She's kind of more flat across. She just, uh, she delivers on what she promises, right? So she's she's more like the more the more predictable one of those. She's she's the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, he, well, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger on the screen, like he's clearly going, going to win at the end because he's the, he has the muscle, he has the bronze. So, you know, clearly not going to, make any uh, make any sudden moves as far as his character is concerned like you know exactly what's going to happen to him right whereas Strathairn kind of goes onto this vision onto onto this vision quest and then is the um would, would the criticism be that he's a little bit cliche in this or do you guys not mind that he's like essentially just reenacting what Meryl Streep's talking about at the uh, campfire while they're all just munching down on marshmallows or whatnot uh the reason or, why I think it works is because Strathairn's character is is set up as the one who wouldn't wouldn't do this. He's mm-hmm. he has already disappointed his family a lot, and he is kind of dragging his feet to go on the trip. But he but he but he comes on it. He he takes the first step to redemption. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that is interesting about Streep's character is that there's a conversation early on, and we'll get into this where her where her mom finds out that Streep's marriage is crumbling and that she is essentially given up and her mom calls her on it and says, you don't know what hard is. I've been, I've been through challenges with your father, Meryl Streep's characters, uh, Gail, her father's deaf. So her mom's, and he's also point, stubborn. <laughs> yeah. He's also stubborn. There's all these things that are, uh, going on there that she says, you, you haven't even experienced hard. 
And so I think that the the point of that conversation was coming back later in this movie that not only is um, Streep challenged to save her marriage from the relational standpoint, but to save her family in this situation and that this is the hardest thing she's ever going to have, she'll ever had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're saying that makes me think that there's a, a bit of a discussion and conversation in here about uh, this, the state of marriages in say North America in mm-hmm. the eighties and nineties, right? Like I, I remember mm-hmm. growing up and you, you know, you'd always hear 50%, uh, 50%, you like, you'd hear a stat mm-hmm. like that, or there'd be something, you know, on a news story with, with, stats like this or you know my parents would be talking about so and so they broke up and so maybe there's a bit of a discussion in here and there's a actually as you're saying that and as i'm sort of talking this i i think that is something here because it is it is a strong element throughout right like this this re this reconnection it's not just cliched just on a first viewing you could say well that's just sort of standard you know family and everyone should get along and you know that that type of thing but um, I think at the end of the day, like it's a fairly heartfelt theme in here and feels sort of authentically pursued by, by mm-hmm. Hanson. I mean, you could, you could argue that f- fine. It's like, oh, it's, it's such a, it's such a truism, right? That's just, oh, you know, you have to work at it. I mean, but then again, it, it, some, like, I suppose a crisis like this, if, if this reflects on the, cri- on, on the marriage crisis in a way would probably reflect on the fact that, you know, people kind of give up a little bit too quickly. And then Meryl Streep's clearly giving up, right? She's just like, I don't know what's wrong. He's working too hard and I don't know how to get to him. I don't know how how to get to him to commit. And then it turns out that they just don't talk, right? And then it just, and, and also they don't do stuff together, right? And all of a sudden just, well, they have to kind of go on a mission together and figure, and they figure out, like, we actually do have a lot of, a lot in common. We actually do care both about, about this family that we have. We, we care about our son. We care about, we care about the daughter that we've left behind with the grandfather and grandmother, like in there, because we would have to, you know, we, we have to think about these people. And then you could say, oh, it's cliche, but it's a simple message. And I think in a fam- in a family film like this, it's because you can take your whole family to see this and everyone's going to get something out of this. And then also on top of this, there is this, there's this message that I just adore in this where you, you see this, this little family drama. It's not groundbreaking. This is not, you know, like this is this is not being written by John Coltsay. This is not going to this is not adapted from a, mm-hmm. you know, like a literary Nobel Prize winning novel where there are these complex problems about this guy who loses a leg and he just falls in love with this woman who who hates him or something like this. Like it's not, not it's simple stuff, but simple stuff that works. And, I, and you just, I don't know, if you're in the wrong frame of mind, it's easy to kind of go and say like, oh, try it. Like I could see people going like, this is this is ridiculous. Why, what, why do I care? Like Roger Ebert would be just, oh, I've seen this before. Go away. Thumbs down. Meryl Streep's good though, but you know. Is, is simple good enough? But I think there's I think there's heart and there's humanity in this movie. And I think that's where, for me, it makes a difference. I think mm-hmm. that's why there's so many people, not just, not the critics, but the people that you talk to that watch this movie, it's always a positive response. And I'm sure it has its detractors, but um, I want to get into the Curtis Hansen of it all because he's, he's a lot of what made this work as well. I, I think that the fact that Curtis Hansen is a is a director that, you know, as you go through his filmography, especially in the 90s, 
the, there's a lot of characters that have this human core and this, mm-hmm. this heart about them. And, and this is very intentional, especially in there's in two of these films. Um, he, he intentionally puts like the strong woman at the front of the, the action, whether it is the villain in the hand that rocks the cradle mm-hmm. or uh, the hero in, in the river wild, he's, he's doing all of this with intention. And I think his journey is really interesting because Curtis Hansen, he, he started out, you know, in, at the beginning of his career, he wrote the silent partner, um, in mm-hmm. 1978. And that was sort of the launch to his career. But then he got into directing in the eighties and he could have easily become one of these people that is just pegged as a journeyman director for the rest of his career, because he was doing some of these smaller forgettable films. He actually, I think one of his first films was the first, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, movie where Tom Cruise, uh, played the lead. It was called losing it. It was like a trashy Mm -hmm. teen Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, but then he got into some of these interesting movies like The Bedroom Window with Steve Gutenberg and Elizabeth McGovern. And then he did Bad Influence, which was a psychological thriller with Rob Lowe and, and James Spader. Just really yeah. interesting mm-hmm. choices, which if he would have continued that, he might have been locked in there. And because he, he made these choices with The Hand That Rocks a Cradle and The River Wild, he was able to break out of that and essentially make it, make a name for himself where he was no longer uh, a journeyman director and had the, the currency and the cachet to set up something like uh, L.A. Confidential and then Wonder Boys, which even though it wasn't a huge hit, was still you know critically acclaimed. And then finally, something as, as wild as 8 Mile, which was a career swerve for him. But mm-hmm. at the core of these, even with 8 Mile, it's still very human and still heartfelt at its core. And that's, that's why I think this six, um, this is such a success. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right in saying yeah. that a lot of his films, he's not as interested in focusing on the traditional leading man. Cause a lot of those films that you yeah. just sort of ran through, I'm saying like, he's, you know, there, there might be some instances of that, but he's interested in something else other than the, the leading man and the supporting of romantic interest that trope he's he's there's a different dynamic at the core so he's got a bunch of leading men for example in uh la confidential but that's a whole different dynamic too like he's 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 after something that's uh not the traditional um you know sort of front and center hollywood uh dynamic uh, between characters it's also adapted from a complex noir novel as well so so this sort of ensemble cast kind of lends itself that way but that would be something that would appeal to him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, weirdly enough, I don't know because I'm okay. Well, I'm probably the ignoramus in the room because I don't think I've seen too many of his films. But from the ones I've seen, I mean, I think we may have touched on this on the Black Dahlia episode when we were talking about just impromptu about L.A. Confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily. I mean, maybe this is what Jackson you just said that he's he, well, he kind of broke out of the sort of journeyman. Uh, director and I feel like the reason why he may have been in this sort of groove could be because he like if you look at something like this it's very I don't want to say plainly directed but it's it, it is plainly directed as in like there is no there is no sort of visual flair that that kind of shows you that there's a guy behind the camera who really wants to put a mark on on something like he's he's there to execute on a script and get the best out of the actors that he hired uh 
at least that's how I see it. And I don't know if you if you guys agree on, on this, or is there an element of sort of the the Hansen signature that's kind of buried somewhere in here that I'm not that I'm not seeing? Even though I, I you know like I love the movie regardless, I'm just I'm just kind of wondering. I think Hansen seems to know he knows what the job is and he just is really good at delivering it. Like he, like, like he's, he's not showy, but there's not a whole lot that you're going to have to complain about, especially starting in, in the nineties. Um, that's sort of how I see it. And now I think there's also something with the Hanson thing that he's not interested in sort of that traditional leading man, you know, good guy, bad guy, evil, unless there's a twist. Like, and I'm sort of seeing a little bit of that just in this conversation. So that that makes sense to me in terms of the Hanson aesthetic. But I, I think that if he's when he takes a job, at least in the latter part of his career, you know, he knows what the assignment is and, you know, he he does it and he he doesn't mess it up. And there's probably something interesting at the core with the relationships of the characters. Yeah, I think that I think Hanson's run from like 1990 to 2002 is legitimately respectable. He was kind of like a, a four or five hit wonder because after mm-hmm. eight mile, and a part of this was due to his health, but after Eight Mile, he sort of teetered off in terms of his uh, the success and the mm-hmm. acclaim of his films. Mm-hmm. They weren't all box office hits in the 90s, but you can point to each film and you can either see it was a cult hit or it was an exercise of sufficiency in its genre. Mm-hmm. He was just, he was nailing it and it wasn't necessarily all all him like Jakob you're saying was there a visual flair I don't think there was necessarily a visual flair on on Hansen's part I think he did he had a great team around him in uh, Robert Elswit and Jerry Goldsmith to kind of build this whole picture together so Robert Elswit incredible body of work someone who I wasn't as familiar with until probably the last seven or eight years as far as paying attention to you know, what he had done in his filmography. Uh, obviously, he's Paul Thomas Anderson's guy, shot mm-hmm. most of his films. Yeah. He worked with Hanson on Bad Influence and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle before this, so they had a working relationship. But he just shoots this so beautifully. It's a miracle that it all looks so real and immersive. There's a few shots in there. I think one of the the, the shots in the scene where, uh, where they're at the campfire and... Mm-hmm. Tom has already escaped or no, no, Tom is about to escape and you just see uh, Terry falling asleep on the log. And in the background, you just see this moonlit Valley. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just thinking in that moment, I was like, there's no way this shot happens today. Like so many of these shots where it's obvious that it's on location. It's obvious that they're getting just the cream of the crop in terms of cinematography. And it's, it's just beautiful. So yeah. I, I will give, Elswit credit on that end. I mean, well, you can actually see there's there are a few moments where, um, yeah, maybe there are a few moments of uh, you, you call it flair, but this is also the mid '90s. Like it kind of feels kind of like um, like a <laughs> post Tony Scott sort of uh, sort of moments where there's a, quite a few moments of like we're shooting and there's there's the golden hour, the sun's setting. Let's just just put these people on a rock and just do a silhouette some, somewhere in there. It kind of mm-hmm. feels like there's a I don't know if it say say this is opportunistically done because they just kind of peppered a little bit sparsely, but it's kind of there. And I'm just wondering, is this Robert Elswit going like, 
I, I really want to do this. Or is this Curtis Hansen just actually noticing this and saying, like, I want a shot like this in my film? Just makes me wonder. Because no, normally I, I don't like if I, If you watch something like LA Confidential, you don't see shots like these. I think they, you know, when they're shooting on location in Montana and Wyoming, they're, they need to take advantage of this, these shots. And it's it's amazing the way you can see in some of the making of featurettes, the way they shot the river and the mm-hmm. rapid scenes. They had these people up on wires over the river and they had, you know, five, six cameras on some of the shots and they were, they were throwing a lot at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, I, I don't know. It, this is this is just this is just so it kind of looks like I mean especially when you when you when you mentioned Jerry Goldsmith like this is also I want to say a happy accident if you, I don't know if you like the score but I think Randy I think um, we talked about this before and then you because I said just before we were we started recording I was listening to the Jerry Goldsmith score I was like and and, and you go like really <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't like the score that much oh you don't <laughs> no no I'm not it just there's something that feels off. It, it feels like an overly orchestrated uh, score from the sixties or something. So I don't know, maybe it's an homage to some Western or something, with, but I, I don't know. I, I wasn't grooving on it. Overly so, orchestrated score from the sixties is essentially young Jerry Goldsmith doing the planet of the apes. Come on, <laughs> just get with the program. <laughs> the, the thing for me about the score, and this was, this is always interesting to hear about test screenings and what happens. I was, I was shocked when I read about Maurice Jarre doing the score to completion and then it getting tested on audiences and then just thrown out by the producers because they're like, this tested really bad. I hadn't heard of something like that with a, with a mm-hmm. score uh, before coming out of a test screening. So that was interesting to me, especially because, you know, Maurice Jarre, this is not a, this is not a young, new, new up-and-comer uh, composer. He did Ghost, Dead Poets Society, Mosquito Coast, so he has, you know, a nice, nice little resume there. Um, but the the Goldsmith score, when I when I heard it, it felt like it was meant to be. Like this is this is not something that sounded like rushed or last minute, which it was both of those things. I think they came in at the eleventh hour and said, "Goldsmith, come in and do this." And there's there's videos online where you can see Hanson working with Goldsmith mm-hmm. in the recording sessions and putting this all together. The one thing I will say about it is that this reminded me of a score. You know, the re- the reason why Goldsmith was brought in is he can do an action score that still maintains elegance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they wanted. They wanted an action score with elegance, which another example of one that he's done is Air Force One. Yep. Which just kind of reminded me of Air Force One a little yep. bit. Yeah, he's, he's a great composer. He has some, like, 20 oscar nominations like he's basically been nominated for best score every other year for his whole career oh, yeah. uh, just i don't personally groove on on this one but i, I kind of feels i mean hold on I, I might as well just um play this uh that's from the Ra- beginning randy right? you don't like the score so just a second no play no something. but uh, <laughs> no but i'm wondering like this is this is me wondering like, has he been binned because the, the producers were feeling like um, we want to make sure that this has sort of like a prestige appeal as well. That's how the film starts, right? Mm-hmm. 
okay, that's enough because Randy's retching. Yeah, is that a harp? <laughs> no, I think it's a clarinet or something like this. But then I'm I'm listening to this and I like this, but it, but you know I'm trying to hum this myself today, and then all this all that comes out is na 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 na. Forrest Gump comes out every single time. Like I don't, and I'm just wondering, is this on purpose that they're just I don't know someone was listening in on I think it was Alan Silvestri because he worked with Robert Zemeckis on this right uh, and then just saying like let's rip off this movie because it's definitely gonna be a, you know a, an awards contender and well pretty was not but you know it's, it's yeah it's weird to me the whole idea of scrapping a score like you said Jackson you hadn't heard mm-hmm. of it I don't think I'd heard of it's, it's just such a drastic measure for it okay so the test audience doesn't like the music like that's usually i don't know the probably the least of the complaints that uh you know that they would care about you know in in my mind like well if they if they hate the lead performance then geez we got to do something we need a new edit or it's too long people got sleepy but yeah people didn't like the score there were a bunch of randys on the test screening is that is that a is that is that a reason to ditch the score like i, I it seems like a drag I, I almost wonder if there was yeah whether it's Oh, let's let's do something Sylvester like or not. I don't know, but it seems like there there must be other factors in play. Such a drastic yeah. move, right? Yeah, yeah, it was It'd shocking. Be, there's to me. there's a story. It would be interesting to know what that story is in it, full. It really makes me want to hear Maurice Jars score yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was so bad? <laughs> Apparently, you can actually hear it. Uh, yes. they they released it as a as a double album right so you can you can hear a complete score by Jerry Goldsmith and I suppose this is a perfect birthday present for Randy so yeah send it over <laughs> oh, yes. to him uh, if but, I think uh, Prince Edward Island is small enough that if you just type in Randy Burroughs Prince Edward Island you'll find they will find him yeah Charlottetown <laughs> yeah and it'll lay so on my doorstep if any uncut gems listeners want to you know send Randy the the uh, copy of the Entrada dual score for the River Wild, which you're going to spend a pretty penny on because it's out of print. Uh, go for go for that and show Randy your your love and yeah. support. Just despite R- him, Randy also, Burroughs, meant- Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Should, <laughs> also should land at my door. Throw in a beautiful, pristine steelbook of Deep Impact because he uh, oh, yes. loves this movie. And, uh, and if you do that, actually, that out of the kindness. <laughs> that you have i will send you a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> i mean note to self i might as well just do it myself just to piss you off <laughs> just send you a copy of deep impact so that you have a good film on your shelf for a change <laughs> what do you mean i've got miller's crossing on my shelf <laughs> oh that was a twist and a half. Sign up to our Patreon and listen to us argue about whether Miller's Crossing is overdone by plot or if, or if it's actually a masterpiece. Send us an email, yeah, by the way. We're usually just two <laughs> polite guys and, uh, yeah, nearly came, nearly came to blows on that one. <laughs> the middle act of that three-act opus. <laughs> Also, this conversation may or may not re- include references to Louis C. Kite. I'm just going to say this now. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I I thought as soon as I started this movie uh, last week was I need to comment about the Universal Studio fanfare, uh, that I miss it immensely, and that every time I see this one, I it's t- it takes me back, and, I, and I'm like, this is when I was watching, you know, capital M movies, 
growing mm-hmm. up was this original, obviously not the original Universal Fanfare, but the one in the 90s where you had, um, was it James Horner's score? Did he do the Universal Fanfare? I forget if I ever yeah. did know. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, that that's the one that always got me pumped uh, growing up was the Universal Fanfare that's before this. Uh, and then obviously we already kind of touched on the opening credits with Gale mm-hmm. rowing through the rivers of Boston. Um, <laughs> For so long that, you know, they even credit the production assistant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd, Jerry I'd Goldsmith it. did it. Oh, Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, no, did. sorry. Okay. Uh, no, James Horner. Oh, James Horner. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I, have, com- I have competing Horner. results. Sorry. It's a very okay. horny fanfare, so yeah. it has to be Horner. <laughs> Must be Horner. It's horny yeah. for horns. RIP to both Horner and Goldsmith. Because um, first... I always associate that with Tiff. Dun, 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 dun. Like that that Universal, because yeah. Universal is uh, a big sponsor at uh, Tiff. And so okay. you get the you get that sort of in front of every movie at TIFF, or at least you did in the early okay. 2000s. So after after the scene with her rowing at the beginning, when we get into this scene at the house with uh, Joseph Mazzello and the the daughter and Meryl Streep, one thing that I, t- I wrote down was that this scene is sort of a masterclass in laying the groundwork for a, an entire movie in literally like two minutes or three minutes. It feels like it goes by so quick, but... In, in the process of the first 30 seconds or a minute, you hear, you know, the, the Joseph Mazzello's character, he says, dad always cancels. Mm-hmm. And that line stuck out, to, stuck out to me. And then, you know, we see that Gail is this hands-on mom who's, who loves her family. Rourke is this adolescent obsessed with his music. And Tom's a workaholic who puts his job over his family. And you know all this stuff and he's, in a few minutes. And he's beta as well because they have this yeah. sort of... It's going to make an appearance because I have to put something on the bottom list. But anyway, the scene <laughs> with the dog yeah. where he's just trying to kind of shoo the dog out of the bed and he's just like, yeah. the dog does not give... He's below the dog. No it, one it, takes it, him seriously, even no. the dog. Yeah, even the, like if the dog like, doesn't listen to you, that means the dog thinks it, like, okay, you're supposed to listen to me, right? Like this is, <laughs> this yeah. is you know, this is not the yeah. dynamic we have in here. So it's it's laid out so clearly and crisply. I don't know. I still totally agree. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And what I would say is it, if you're not paying attention, you can easily, there's so much about Curtis Hansen, you can just take for granted, right? Like, But like you say, it does lay out a lot you could you could totally take this scene for granted though at the same time but there it actually is it's not just a simple setup there's a lot caked into it and and i was going to mention you know the dog and the the uh Strathairn's relationship tom's relationship with with the dog that the dog doesn't listen to him there's a lot of little details that will be paid back later on that are set up in here so i think you're totally right although you could look at this scene and it can feel like a very basic scene. This would be a scene that if I watched it with my family, they'd probably be talking during it and it would annoy me. Uh, but it is it is actually a lot baked into it. So it's it's a really good, really good point you raised. You even find out that he has missed his son's birthday in the past, too. So this yeah. is something that is an ongoing issue with their family. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's not forced like it's, you know, it's it's fairly authentic. And then. And then, of course, you have Streep and Strathairn, who I think are great performers, and they they sell it. Sell it. I like the moment where he comes in, and then you know he's basically saying that he's bailing. And Rourke, go to your room. 
get out, close the door, <laughs> you know? So there's a lot that's, you know, just in the, the body language and yeah, no, it's good. It's a I mean, good, good opening. To, to me, this kind of looks like Dennis O'Neill who wrote this, by the way, he was taking a lot of inspiration from, from, I want to say the most sort of iconic Spielberg movies. Like you see, you think, think about like, I don't want, I don't want to throw jaws around. Like it's a, like it's a tattered rag or anything because it's the best film ever made in my opinion but it's for a reason and then there are these moments like this like character moments that are just woven into su superficially just unimportant dialogue that you can just fish out as uh, if you slow down mm -hmm. and then just try to take it apart you can actually see there's quite a lot of quite a lot of character baked into seemingly insignificant lines mm -hmm. like something like jurassic park jaws raiders of the lost actors so many nuances baked into in, insignificant dialogue that just and, it, and it's also almost in passing it people talking over one another as well that's that's a, that's another sort of thing like when you hear Meryl Streep just uh, and David Strathairn they always they never kind of just finish they never wait for the other one to finish they always she will just uh, interrupt him and then he will just start going like bah, 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 or, or, or he will just shut up and then just Put his head down like there are these old moments where you can just clearly see when the span of like a 30 second conversation exactly where they are in the relationship what the film is going to go, go uh, and do about it and how it's going to go uh, come out which arguably if you're a cynical tit you could say this is cliche and it's predictable and i've seen this before but i i see this as well it's not about finding something new it's how it's about the sort of the journey and then the journey mm -hmm. It, it, as it even laid out in the in the apartment it's just great like I, I enjoy spending time with these people and even if it's not something that's new or hasn't been done before it is executed in a way that is so i guess so relatable not mm -hmm. not even necessarily if it's if you know you don't have to be having a failing marriage to to recognize these as real people and yeah, that's it's not that's kramer versus resonated. kramer right yeah. <laughs> right right <laughs> But yeah. but they're real people, and you feel like oh the the way that he's responding to her and the way that she's they're they're reacting in ways that that, that people do. Yeah, one thing for me because you, I could I could look at that opening scene and okay, dad's not coming again. Dad's letting the family down again. So I could take that as a bit of a cliched moment, but honestly, like five minutes later, it's a very very nice moment, which which speaks to some you know genuine uh impact that's sort of put into the characters by by the script and by hansen and by the actors it's a really amazing moment actually when you suddenly have Strathairn show up right yeah. like like so it's i can take that opening as a bit cliched but then you know they they wholeheartedly em embrace what they're doing with the character and say, okay, yeah, no, here he is. And with his brand new Nike I, sandals, I forget about the, <laughs> yeah, I forget about the fact that, you know, some of this, you know, feels familiar because it is turning into its own thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's his first step to redemption. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, although mm -hmm. he's like, oh, what happened to Mr. Was it almost it's Salotto. It's not Salotto. <laughs> oh, Salvaggio? Yeah. Yeah, Savaggio. <laughs> Savaggio. And he's just, oh, I took it with him. And by the way, I have a note in here. And he's, they're, they're fly fishing. And there's this song. It's like, oh, do you want to tell your dad if he wants to try this? And just, he does exactly what all the kids, like my kid does this as well. It's like, he's like, go and tell, 
go and tell your mom to come here and she will just shout from across. I could do this myself, you know? <laughs> hey, dad! <don't> try this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he's drawing there and I'm looking at his drawings and they're shit. And I, no wonder he's, he works so late because he's shit at his job. <laughs> takes him forever and he's he's shading everything with his pencil <laughs> just, just like jesus yeah. i mean especially like I mean, he's gonna show these 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 sketches no sorry they're not sketches this is they're not sketches i told you before gail there is important this is, i know it's important stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> just, they're not sketches <laughs> but he shows yeah. these sketches to his boss and he's just what did you draw it on your lap and he goes like yep <laughs> yep. I did. I did some of it on the plane, and I did some of it sitting on the rocks. And then there may be a coffee stain in here, a blood stain over there, and it's all kind of been wet three and a half times. Okay? Yeah. Because like, uh, we had a we had a bit of a situation on the vacation, you know, Mister Savage. No, sorry, I didn't finish coloring it. So. <laughs> Could you imagine, like uh, in a in a Zucker Zucker Abraham's parody of this film, you could see this sort of I could see the close up on him, uh, just doing this this drawing, and there will be these like wax like Crayola crayons sort of like yeah. nearby, yeah, <laughs> just like draw a sun in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his 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 arch his architect uh, his architect uh, materials. Uh, production department might have let him down. They just sort of got a sketchbook. <laughs> yeah, my note is exactly how good can these drawings be? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what did, what did you guys think of the conversation that Gail has with her mom when they get to Montana, and her oh. mom basically telling her to suck it up and s- stay in her marriage? Well, that's another you know interesting little point like why why have such a scene like it it feels very familiar but you know it it's caked into the theme here and i like it's it's an ex, it's another example of a of a little thing that sort of strengthens what i think is a bit of a commentary in here the more we discuss it on you know marriage is hard and you know stick with it and you know it's worth it and more families should have that type of uh, approach to marriage. Uh, I, I think that that's that's what that little moment does. It's not so long as it gets you know tiresome or is is needless. Uh, it sort of, it sort of works. You know, I'm, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a good little moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a. I mean, I don't want to spoil my top three list, but it's up there. Uh, it's absolutely amazing stuff because it's straight off the bat. Like it kind of almost comes out of nowhere because like they, there's this sort of like the the grandparents they come out of the plane then they bicker already at, I mean they bicker just they bicker like Han bickers with Chewbacca because because <laughs> you can only understand one person out of the two because unless you know American Sign Language in which case you know more power to you I don't so you know you can you can only see the grandfather just like clearly bitching <laughs> just. And she goes like, "Well, I, it's not. It's because you're a slob." Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just cut to uh, this like Meryl Streep uh, just leaning against this sort of wooden fence, and you, she goes like, "Oh, mommy, my, 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 my marriage is it's falling apart." And then, I mean, initially you could just see things to yourself like, "Oh, great, her, his, her mom's gonna gaslight her in a little bit." And she's like. What do you mean your your marriage is hard? You don't know what hard is. I'm just like this is not really reinforcing anything, is it, mommy? Yeah. I just you're not helping. But she actually is when you think about it. So I like like 
if you don't unpack it, you'll be just like, his her mom is a bit of an ass. Because like you can see that she's having a bit of a down moment and but then again you could argue that she's written there is more backstory written into these characters that the it just comes through. As in she knows that her daughter is a type A sort of ambitious woman. And then she already thinks that, well, I deserve better than I already have. And it's just like, well, no, this is not how it works. You make this work and then you will have what you deserve. And mm-hmm. then she does. And then it's like, well, because marriage is not about getting what you think you're owed. It's about mm-hmm. this inter- interdependence, working together, being... Working for- at it. Yeah. And then it's... I suppose without much uh, dialogue again, it's all kind of just in between the lines. Like when you when you actually slow down, and as Jackson, you just kind of laid out in the opening sort of uh, so in the in the apartments scene. If you actually go line by line, even I don't want to say this is a material for a podcast minute by minute, <laughs> but <laughs> sort of the deconstruction of the River Wild. I'm not sure if there if there is an audience for this, but hey. Uh, <laughs> But it kind of you can actually go and deconstruct this conversation and and just sketch these characters of, like with three dimensions and they work. So and it's coming from a guy who's never written a script before, or maybe this is because it's 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 his first script, so he had his entire life to write it. <laughs> so you know, I don't know, but it works for me. It's a great scene. <clears throat> so then, so then we get to launching the boat mm-hmm. and meeting Wade. And the guys that was this was an interesting one for me because like we were talking about earlier wade is carrying this sort of suspicious air about him that even though he is even though he's a nice guy like he says later he's a different kind of nice guy and so you're noticing things and questioning things knowing that there's something that's going to happen and uh i thought that i thought it was really interesting the, the interplay between him and gail knowing that there's uh, problems in her marriage and he's putting on this sort of flirty front with her and he's doing his best to charm her and asking and, her all these questions. And Terry even says like, oh, Wade's always been good with the ladies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but so even at this helping, point, Terry. yeah, even at this point, he's like, you know, he's asking about, you know, her being a guide and all this. And you know that it's all very self-serving, but there's also like, there's something about it that she is, I, I guess she's, she's humoring she's finding, him. What's that? She's humoring him. Right? Yeah. She's humoring him, you know, because she's not getting that attention. But is she doing this because, uh, well, see, again, this is like three dimensionality of the character to me coming through. Is she doing this because this is just how she, she's just very confident, self-assured around men. And she just, she just thinks she can just, she just be this sort of this flirtatious without actually thinking she's flirtatious because she's just very um, uh, forthcoming with people. And then like, she's, she's fine just standing behind the guy and says, I'm going to teach you fly fishing. And he's, and Kevin Bacon is just fly fishing while she's just essentially hugging him. And then she probably doesn't care or maybe doesn't even realize that he has a massive boner as, as they're doing it or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> or, or, and then, like so or, few or, of us noticed, actually. <laughs> no, just... No, just Arguably, you could see that you know, like, like if any man w- would be would be happy in the situation, it's just like there's this woman just like giving me this sort of one to one sort of instruction about fly fishing, and all I'm thinking about is just how you know <laughs> this is a PG show, 
today I'm not gonna do this again. Uh, but but then, or is she doing this to spite Tom? Like, is she doing this like I want him to fight for me? Yeah, I, want, like she's like, I, I think there's a little bit of that. I, well, not. I don't think she's doing it to spite Tom. I think it is. She is at a place where she's become so maybe broken down in her marriage that when something like this attention comes to her, she's not as quick to resist it or push it away mm-hmm. because there's this guy who's showing interest in her or at least giving her some kind of attention mm-hmm. um, in a way that's seeking. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I took it as that she was just quite simply a little bit more of an extrovert. And mm-hmm. if she's not getting sort of satisfaction from communicating with other people and, you know, her husband being one or maybe not going anywhere because she has a young family, you know, that it's just an opportunity to socialize. And she's probably that type of person. And actually mm-hmm. her performance in a way reminded me of, this is a, a weird connection, but uh, Rada Mitchell in Rogue, who plays a, uh, a, a tour guide that that takes people down down the river and then that's an animal attacks mm-hmm. there's a crocodile involved but rada mitchell and that is very forthcoming very easygoing with uh people and she she's soft and gentle with some but you know other people mm-hmm. you know she's bossy and direct i and it made i made the connection in, in part the personality but i think also that's probably a trait of uh, adventure guides you know, and, and tour guides. And, and that's something that probably is something that both Mitchell and um, Meryl Streep, uh, you know, did research on and found like, this is the type of personality that would, uh, you would find in, you know, mm-hmm. someone that does whitewater rafting or oh, yeah. uh, something like that. It kind of feels like it's a bit of a like, swimmer's body fallacy, by the way. Like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, there's this sort of preconceived notion that people think just like if you if you if you do a lot of swimming you'll have a specific you'll end up having a specific body type and specific musculature where it's in fact the opposite where it's just like people who have a specific body type end up being exceptional at swimming so you just think to yourself she just ended up being a tour guide because she's just uh she's just very out outgoing out sort of Mm. forthcoming as well so she just naturally just ended up being in the sort of like the customer fronting sort of adventure seeking uh, job and if you think about the Venn overlap between people who love spending time with people and uh, love the adrenaline it's like tour guide at what whitewater rafting facilities yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just like uh, a buddy in a in a in a, in a parachute or like jumping a school or something like this right <laughs> or you, yeah. you don't get to do much talking when you're fly, flying out of a plane but i suppose but i think it may be all three by the way if you think about it as in kevin bacon thinks that she she seeks attention because he senses there's tension between them two so he, he said he thinks he's gonna drive a wedge between the, the married couple so he can get get rid of the husband and convince the wife to uh drive him down the gauntlet david strathairn thinks um that he's that that she that she is doing it to spite him she's like oh great and then and she just thinks she's just being bubbly (laughs) right right she's not even thinking about it yeah yeah she's just like i'm just being myself and just things just she has this sort of pretty girl sort of syndrome just things just happen to me (laughs) because it's just you know um something else that that stood out in this first sort of 
sort of launch down the river as they're going down the river and the, you see the uh, these mountains surrounding them and just this beautiful uh, setting. And she's admiring nature and she's trying to share it with her son who's on his Walkman and just kind of buried into his music mm-hmm. and her husband who is visibly still a little absent mentally even though he's, he's there trying. physically. This is What's beautiful. That? And she's like, fucking Jesus, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But it's like moments like these where Streep evokes so much in just a simple sigh or an expression and the things that she does that it's, it's just this family drama where, you know, we're, we're looking at everything else that's physically going on in the scene and she's just doing just a slight little nuanced thing that says so much about this woman who's trying to save her marriage in, in just the smallest little thing. And that was a, like a, a micro, uh, a, a micro uh, expression that stood mm-hmm. out to me. But, but, you know, I identify yeah. with this. I identify with, with Meryl Streep in there because I have this myself, like, I don't know, driving along the rolling hills of Oxfordshire with this of, you can see that the faint mist just, just dressing these hills and just beautiful greenery there's sheep everywhere and my kids on her tablet and i'm just like come on look just look just look and she just and then we just turned the corner and she missed it and i'm just like you missed it now (laughs) yeah i i hear that as well we had a cross-country drive with my kids in the back seat and look at the mountains look at that site look at this site and no you know, minecraft was, in the car <laughs> yeah one of, one of them was on their phone playing the game the others reading manga it's like well okay. oh goodness <laughs> yeah i mean that's one of the ways in which this is easily adapted to modern days the the kid is on the, the, on the smartphone phone. or whatever yeah. although you know who knows maybe maybe they don't get service out there i don't know that was one of the things that i i thought of when i I always test these movies in the 90s as like, could this be made today? And I think if you were that far out, maybe you didn't have service on your cell phone or something, you wouldn't really have to change a whole lot about it. I mean, uh, if modern... you think about it, it's also quite timeless already. Because right. like you could, you could explain away. It's like they don't have cell phone signal. Who needs a cell phone? Mm-hmm. Um, they have this old waterproof camera because they didn't take their cell phones because who needs a cell phone? <laughs> they don't have yeah. any access to, to, if, to any service. If he was taking pictures on his cell phone, you know, Bacon would have smashed that on the rock too. Would have been this, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, same sort of so, thing. Mm-hmm. So you could say that, and, and it's very simple in terms of tech. It's just a revolver. It's a well, it's a three five seven Magnum three five seven. <laughs> just <laughs> the weirdest line delivery. <laughs> But but yeah, it's it, you can see that you could I could see this as you say today. I mean, I'm now looking forward to the to the remake, by the way, because I just want to see how they tackle this. But yeah, you could totally see this remake today, and then we can have the same. Like there, there's no just inconvenience or conveniences that you have to just write out of the uh, script by some magical yeah. sort of uh coincidence or anything it's just it will just work if you're in the, in the middle of nowhere you know you're, you're in the same predicament i i love in these mm-hmm. first set of rapids when they start going down and gail is telling tom you're not going to want to sit there and he's like I, I, no i, I want to see here. you know i can't yeah. see i want to sit here you know yeah and as, as not, he going, doesn't like being told as well yeah where to sit like <laughs> i've been told so... where to sit my whole life <laughs> yeah you're watching him so physically uncomfortable with the situation that you're like how do these two people get 
get together because she is obviously this extroverted adventurer who grew up in Montana or wherever, and he's just super uptight and. Oh, it's, he probably it's used to be cool before his job. His <laughs> yeah, job took over. I mean, I, I like your explanation. <laughs> I have a different one, but I like yours better because it's probably more more lifelike. But um, my explanation was like, well, Tom's packing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Um, they, well, they don't call him a tri- well, they call them a tripod in the in in, in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was like, "Hello, sailor." <laughs> <laughs> see, so yeah, see, guys... I identify with this relationship a little bit because my Who wife is way cooler than me. <laughs> my wife is way cooler than me and wants to go on all these adventures. And I used to be cool, but now I'm more of a, I'm more of a dud, and I have to be talked into it. So I mean, he knows how yeah. to swim. He's just he he can be a hero when he when he when he's when he wants to and he doesn't even mind the glasses and then if it was me my glasses would have been in tatters like after like one or two times i oh. rolled down a hill he, he minds <laughs> his glasses though because there's great when they first push off he's sitting in the back of the raft and i noticed this he's sort of hilariously nebbishly sort of playing with the straps he's putting the straps on his glasses and i thought mm-hmm. that is quite hilarious because yeah. You know, that's just who he is. And that's sort of a great little moment that's just happening the, the behind dance, everyone. The dance and that would strap. be me. Oh, I better put the straps on my glasses. Do, do you have dad straps? Them. Please tell me you have dad straps. Um, a couple of years ago, we went, it wasn't whitewater rafting. It was tidal bore rafting um, on the Bay of Fundy, the biggest tides in the world. And when the tide comes in and hits sort of a shallow part, you get a lot of chop. And uh, anyway, so my my wife got the straps for me, which was great. Oh, do you, do you think she did it for you to to just? Oh, I care about your glasses. It was just like there's so many pretty women around. I need to give you these these straps so that there's like minus twenty to fuckability. <laughs> <laughs> so all the twenty year old little birds will be like, Jesus Christ, Dad. Do you have no, your phone I, holster too? And, then, and your I don't know. And maybe, maybe, maybe there's something where she always wants me to be the the geekiest guy in the the well, the group. Because I think about we went... why she's worried because you know she she knows and you don't know that you're a stud. Okay, <laughs> she just wants to uh, wants to kind of you know. Yeah. Well. You, I always sort of been domesticated. The, I, I sort of am always the, the geekiest guy in any group. We went uh, we went snorkeling on the Great Barrier Reef one time, and we had a little checklist of maladies. Do you have a heart condition? Yes. Do you have asthma? Yes. Do you have allergies? Yes. So I'm answering yes to all this stuff. So the the tour group ended up giving me the pink snorkel so they could keep track of me when I was out there because. <laughs> Well, yeah, and here I was a pretty good swimmer and everything, but yeah, better keep track of that weakling over there, the guy in the pink snorkel. So, Goodness. <laughs> so yeah, I'm David Strathairn, and I'm just waiting for the moment that I can sort of dive in after Cave and Bacon, because actually switching to the movie, that's a great moment in the movie, and that's sort of the transformation is on for my man Strathairn. When he, yes, yeah. and then he starts getting punched and pulled down but that's a great moment when he just dives in it's like yeah. where'd that come from because five minutes ago he was well, mm-hmm. more than five minutes ago but, because he always but, had it in him yeah he was yeah. he was fooling around with the strap also, also by charge. the way 
he punches a guy underwater and he punches him pretty substantially. And I was thinking to myself, if he executed this punch, this this right hook on the on on the ground, he would have broken his face in two. Yeah. Because if you think underwater, there's significant resistance from the medium, <laughs> and yeah. he still yeah, knocked I, him out. I made a note. I was saving that for later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is this on your bottom list? Like this punch That's is on unreal- my bottom list. This pun- a, punch a is physics issue there. I think. Yeah. So no, it's not a physics issue. He's just extremely strong, and he's packing. <laughs> the, the next, you. the There's next another point, theory here. The next point I wanted to to bring up here after the uh, after he falls in the the water and then gets pulled out um, when Tom falls in is setting up the gauntlet because mm-hmm. sort of the gauntlet is is sort of the additional villain because it's the impending doom. That's the nature part of man versus facing, nature. Yeah, throughout this throughout this mm-hmm. movie, that uh, the gauntlet is so dangerous, and and Tom says, you know, your mother says that it's too dangerous, and then Rourke says, well, maybe for you. And mm-hmm. again, we're we're coming back to the reflections of their relationship and how. Do you Rourke want me to put the line in in, the, in here? <laughs> and, and, yeah, there you go. And then Gail Gail says that she maybe went down you. the gauntlet at eighteen, so we know that she has what it takes or she's done it before it's not impossible but then that there were other guides who went down it and one one was killed and one was paralyzed and so she's she's got this notoriety that we're building up on she's the like, gauntlet she's a crazy gale i'm just yeah. thinking to myself is she gale weathers like from screen <laughs> but i think it's differently spelled <laughs> Did- did you guys notice how when they then they pass uh, Terry and Frank or or Terry and Frank pass them a little later, she introduces Tom as Rourke's father? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I, because like, she's always, checked yeah. out of her marriage already. It's just to yeah. try and then, drive and it then, home. Like, and, she, and he's there. He's listening. Like He's right yeah. there. Like, <laughs> it's Rourke's father. Like, Jesus. <laughs> and and just, then Wade's response was so weird where he says, he says, wait, you didn't tell him about us, did you? <laughs> I was like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> oh, he's clearly ruining a marriage. Yeah, he's a shit disturber, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sp- coming back to quickly setting up the uh, gauntlet, you didn't like, mention this. Like they, they just say, well, it's very cleverly sort of written in as well. And it's just like, oh, uh, we got off at Bridal Creek. And it's like, oh, what's after that? And then you explain. And then you really know it's like, we're gonna see the gauntlet, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, we got, we got to. This has to be paid off at some point. And at this point, I made a note about Joseph Mazzello because he's doing some incredible, Whining. excellent child acting work in this <laughs> yeah. movie. I mean, one of the maybe one of the best kid performances up there for me. I mean, it's it's up there. He's he had such a run because if you remember, he was in Richard Jurassic Donner's Park. Radio Flyer. Oh yes, he was. And okay. then, he and was the younger Jurassic brother Park. to uh, Jurassic Park, is where yeah. I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. then after the River Wild, he did a movie called The Cure, with Brad Renfro, where he plays a he's a little boy who's dying oh, of yeah, cancer, yeah, yeah. and he's just knocked it out of the park in every single one. I mean, the Radio Flyer was the one that really, as a parent, really <clears throat> you know tugs at your heart because mm-hmm. he's he's this little kid in a domestic abuse drama, and mm-hmm. he's the younger brother. Elijah Wood is is a few years older so, than him. Yeah, so he's essentially, like, if I remember correctly, in the radio flyer, he is essentially, like, Elijah Wood is essentially kind of uh, 
like he's like Roberto Benini in, in Life is Beautiful. He's just like trying to kind of shelter him from all this sort of abuse. And he's just like, no, it's just, it's just like there's the fantasy yeah. that they build together. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We should totally do this as an episode one day. So it's, yeah. it's pretty I amazing. Seen it. <gasps> yeah. So I've not, I've not seen, seen Radio. Radio. No. No, I know. No. Yeah. Knowing, knowing <laughs> all this. It's like I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> Dead to I me. I knew you. <laughs> No, knowing all this, it's. I mean, he's he was great as a child actor, but then you look at his career, and he hasn't. He's he's been working pretty consistently since. You know, he was in the Social Network, and Bohemian Rhapsody, and a few other things recently. Okay. Even. And so Who he's, was he's he still in, working. Oh, he's John Deacon, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Some of these kid actors, they, you know, once they once they go to university or whatever, they their career just looks different on the other side. Like even if they have that name, like Charlie Cosmo, I always remembered him from mm-hmm. Dick Tracy and thought he was pretty good. And there was something else like he had two yeah. or three around 1990 and he sort of stood out that he was sort of a, you know, charmer and not as uh, precocious as, mm-hmm. you know, some child actors. And Cosmo sort of also has sort of like the, the bulletproof resume. Cause he did Dick Tracy hook. Uh, what hook. about Bob and mm-hmm. can't hardly wait. Yeah, and can't hardly wait. He's a teen, right? But I don't yeah, think he came see him back after to that. do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. anyway, um, so I, I wanted to. I put in my notes. I wanted to talk about the campfire argument because that was kind of like a mm-hmm. that first night when it's just the three of them, and she's got the wine and she's she's got the glass seeking, as well. Yeah, yeah. she's <laughs> seeking him out, and you know she says she says to him as he's resisting her. Can you at least pretend to like it here for Rourke's sake? I don't do bad at pretending to like your stuff. And it just kind of sets off this whole little thing it between just, them. It kind of validates that she's probably she's probably going to be spiting him as well. Because like why would you say that? Like why? Yeah. Like even if you wanted to kind of spite him, you can just like, can you at least pretend for a second that you like it here? End of sentence. Just keep the rest in. Just don't yeah. because then She's essentially just inflaming this because he's not going to respond to this. Just like, oh, my, my kid thinks I, I I don't like him. It's just, no, it's just like she's trying to pick a fight. Like, go away with your wine and your teary eyes. But okay. she but she retracts it too. And that's the, the part where I feel like there's a little bit of realism in it is, mm-hmm. you know, we've all been into an argument or a disagreement or something with our partner where we mm-hmm. say something and we mean it one way and it comes off as m- maybe much more... Uh, much more sharp Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, stabbing than we meant it to be. And so she does that, but it's already too late. And he he does the same thing. And you just see the, the building, the, the the production of this argument between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's a nicely, it's, it's a nicely written little scene and it can wash over you and it can feel very familiar. But I, I think that if you, if you really look at it, like there is, like you said, Jacob, like there's this, there's this extra poke that she puts in at, at the end of the, the line. What was it again? I was, I oh, said, I pretend I, to like your stuff. Yeah. I just yeah. why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's actually fairly natural. Like you, you know, in the course of a conversation, you say something else. And that, your mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it is a nice little, it is a nice little <sighs> scene as well. Right. And it's not too long and it's, it's layered. See, it's natural but, enough. See, but this is uh, to me. This is an, an indication. This again, very ex- expertly written in a way that people would probably just miss. That this is a conversation. This is an argument that they had a hundred times before. Mm-hmm. 
Like they yeah. just do, they just at some point, then he just he responds to the poke, and then she knows that he will respond to the poke, so she responds to to his response, and she just takes offense and she leaves, and he goes like, "Oh, fuck!" <laughs> so. Yeah. They just do the whole dance. Like once this thing happens, they have to just follow all the steps. You can't just go and say, oh, you know, sorry, I, I pushed too far. No, no, they have to go do the whole dance and they have to just go and leave it at that and then just reconvene later. Like it just so lifelike. Like I've had, yeah. I've had arguments like this. <laughs> so, you know. yeah. yeah. And it, it's easy to miss. Like, and this is a great conversation just sort of to it's allowing me to to stop and take sort of an extra look at these, right? Like, and that's, because I'm thinking this is a pretty good little scene, but this is why, like we're talking about, it. like it, it does feel like you could miss it if mm-hmm. you just sort of watch it and sort of take it quickly at face value because no one really pays attention to the talking scenes, like my kids. Did, did you pay attention <laughs> so. to the other conversation they have later on? Uh, when, I think when they're trying to organize their escape, so when Terry's just gonna... Uh, fall asleep at the log and i think they have this sort of conversation where i think before before this whole thing uh, they have this sort of conversation when david strathairn is just kind of like you know i think i think it's before that they're she says, make, making she a says pass she's gonna it. flip the she's gonna oh no yeah no that so, is that's before, is before? that that's before, before that? um yeah. before they've been revealed as the criminal so the interesting thing about this this argument that we've had is when they're when they're at the campfire with the wine is it's painting everything that you need to know about their marriage before things are about to get tied in with Kevin Bacon and and John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. And so so the next day is when we come into them joining them and them having this um, this meeting where j- the the two criminals they're they're painting the story that Frank, their guide, walked out on them. And that he was, you know, someone that they knew, and he was married to one of their sisters, and and all this. So you start, you start un, oh, unraveling. Met him in Tulsa. My sister lives in Tulsa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unraveling these layers of suspicion, <laughs> and I don't know if you guys, what you guys thought about the scene where they pull up there, and Maggie goes sniffing in the the woods, and she she finds something, and and Terry follows Tom into the woods to to look for her. It, mm-hmm. I mean. I'm pre- this is shadow of a doubt level yeah. this sort of stuff in here. I kind of like it. Anyway, Randy. Oh, no. I was just going to say, well, Maggie's sniffing around the body, isn't it? Yeah. We, we, I, never, I, know. we never find out. It, you only hear flies. You only hear flies, right? Oh, and then, and then you, you hear yeah. flies. Uh, uh, after they leave, Maggie, Maggie fucks off because then Meryl Streep calls Maggie. And I mean, again, can you go and get the dog? Because the dog just just disappears yeah. and, and then she sends him after the dog that doesn't listen to him exactly yeah. <laughs> that's what happens at my house all the time too randy go get the dog the dog doesn't listen to me oh, is, this, is this why you feel familiar it's like i'm david strathairn that, and that's why he needs to be the lead like you know well yeah. what you what, well what you need to do is go on a vision quest okay <laughs> <laughs> and I should before it gets too cold before the weather turns. Like, like the window's closing on this. <laughs> oh, goodness. So no, but I, there, there's but there are there are flies in the background you can hear, so you can only infer that there is a dead body somewhere in no there. Sense, but yeah, yeah. but you don't they don't ever reveal it, and then you can only piece it together if you uh, well if you pay attention to details like this when Kevin Bacon shows Joseph Mazzello 
or Rourke. I don't know why I mm-hmm. always operate with actors. Wade shows Rourke a gun, <laughs> and then he replaces two spent casings. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, well, yeah. you could you could say that this is just well the three, five, seven. You can easily miss it, but it's just an indication the, the gun's been used twice. Yeah. 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 yeah the, and it's it's Hanson, like it's it's detail. Like like Hanson's doing a good job. He's he's covering all the bases, he's doing everything right, and it's he's not showy about it. I mean Dennis on you, come on, give it a give the screenwriter some credit. Yeah. Come on. It's just, <laughs> just, <laughs> Hanson this, Hanson. It's like I'm speaking to Jack, you know, direct to this, direct to that. Yeah, there is a screenwriter on this. So oh. so we I think we've already we we talked a little bit about the the scene where then they go down the rapids together and Wade tries to pull uh Tom down and then and then they get back out onto the shore and he's like he's like you didn't need to punch me and there's oh, yes, this I weird did. like yes, awkward moment where he's like yes I did. Yes I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And and I, I you're lucky we the, were below water when I did it too, right? Because he's a <laughs> man. He just takes it completely on his face value. He's just like, well, logically, if I hadn't yeah. punched you, we would have both drowned. So like, you no, know, no harm, no foul. This was just it had to be done. But then again, he doesn't know that he took offense, or maybe he does, and he's just like rubbing it in because he's absolutely a big macho with a you know, yeah, his back. <laughs> There's an essay coming from you, Jakob, on this. <laughs> oh, David Strathairn, yeah. the, the River Wild in his manhood. <laughs> I I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but there's so much exposition coming in this scene where she's teaching Wade how to fish because she's you know she's teaching him like we talked about. There was there's like flirting going on and mm-hmm. and uh, Terry's saying, oh you know. The ladies, the they ladies. love Wade. And, <laughs> and then at the same time as that, so Tom's observing this and you see this visible jealousy in him. You see there's this fire igniting in him and he's like, he's like, he's being pushed out of his comfort zone and be, being reminded that he has this wife, this amazing wife. And at the same time, on the radio, they're talking about the cattle auction being robbed. And mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of painting, oh, what are these details? And she's very intentionally saying, oh, my, my dad always said, or my mom always said that they're, you know, that cattle auction was going to get robbed one day. And and so and you're, you're learning all yeah. this stuff in this very, like, natural exposition. And Wade's just pretending he didn't hear as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I made a comment earlier on, like in, like in the opening scene that we talked mm-hmm. about. There's the exposition. I, I did feel at one point there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of little payoffs. Like they're showing me, you know, the things that they're packing and what was it? Like he bought first aid kits and then, you know, they yeah. bought, uh, you know, later on the knife, like there's just all these little exposition inserts. And this is another one listening to the the radio and catching all this. And mm-hmm. it, like, it, there's a, there's an exposition machine here that's going on. It seems constantly, but it all gets paid off and it's all sort of inserted fairly naturally it doesn't feel too it's, forced it's peppered as well like there's yeah. no such thing as like let's slow down for a second so that meryl streep can give a lecture about what the gauntlet is like yeah she yeah she mentions oh this is this crazy place and then you get to hear about a little bit more it's like this this is this place where um these three rivers meet and then do you know what hypothermia in, is and then she just laughs maniacally and then and then you see this and it's just like by the way this is just the easy part so it's all 
kind of just it feels like this this has been written so many times like i could see this guy just going over this and then just making sure that everything's perfect it's just like well yeah. this these two bits of exposition are, are too close to one another let's just let's just rewrite this let's just rethink this it's exp- expertly written like my i might add like this is there is a reason why this is on my top 100 list of movies of all time because it's just great yeah Jakob. i don't know if this if this caught with you but there's a scene where wade and gail are sitting there in the in the forest talking and he's asking her about the gauntlet and mm-hmm. he says, well, what if you, you know, didn't? Did, did you, yeah, did you run it before? And she's like, yeah, I did. But I was 18. I was so young. You know, things have changed. I have a husband and, and kids. What if and, you didn't? And when he says, yeah, he <laughs> yeah, says, yeah. what if you didn't? And that line is delivered both in a, in sort of a flirty pass, mm-hmm. but then also as a threat. <laughs> he's planning to off yeah. the husband. It, yeah. it comes <laughs> off as both. And you're not yeah. sure how she's taking it, but she's like, that's weird. Uh, okay. Okay. But she's, you can see on her face that she's dismissing it and saying, Oh no, it wasn't a threat. It was a compliment. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was, he was asking like if, if I could go with him, you know? Yeah. So I think but she it's another thinks, layer she thinks, of eeriness along the way too. Yeah. Right? yeah. It, but it's for us, not for her. She yes, thinks yes. he's making a pass at her and he's turning and she's turning him down. Right. It's like, I right. do have a husband, which is an interesting turn for her because it's no longer just, this is Rogue's father. It's like, I have a, I have a husband. I have a family. Right. And then, but but then you you end up just thinking like, is he planning to just take out David Strathairn because you know it's coming? And but they, she doesn't know. And then it's it's just very sort of subtly sort of woven in this sort of ratcheting tension, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, I did I did I did ca- catch on to this. This is this is a great sort of mm-hmm. piece of exposition. And then yeah. uh, later on, she also mentions that oh Frank wanted to ditch you guys because he clearly will not be able to make it into in, in this boat. Like this is not happening. He would be probably yeah. just uh, I don't know taking a little canoe and just do it. And then clearly it's later just... on, you can see canoe wouldn't wouldn't cut it because the canoe just ends up going through the gauntlet, just folded in half. All these <laughs> so... all these details just building up the gauntlet. Um... The scene I I really like the campfire scene with the birthday, mm-hmm. uh, both yeah, what's happening during the birthday and then what immediately follows when she's describing the vision quest, and we don't know that that's you know that's obviously <laughs> and John C. Um, Riley doing the Twilight Zone noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the vision quest thing is you know alluding to something that will come later, and then. The whole the birthday gifts, everything pays off. The camera, the knife, and then the whole. They give him a Polaroid of rollerblades yeah. as well. Yeah, the two hundred. Which is a subtle way of saying that the Joseph Mazzello's yeah. character is gay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that was that was the What's su- the- most subtle way of coming out to her parents was asking if I, if you can get rollerblades. <laughs> But, I, I like that, and, and here's a gift from the dog. Here's a gift from Molly, and isn't that the knife? Uh, well, yeah, we, we've yeah. all done that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Here's a gift from the dog. It's just all right. Here's something from yeah. us. It's just a piece of wood. <laughs> with yeah, two hundred bucks. And and then Rourke is just like gives the money back, or he he makes Rourke give the money back, and he's like, you didn't even want to come on this trip, and. The way that Wade responds to Tom in that moment and that whole interplay is just, you know, he's like, I would just wanted to do something nice, you know, but he's yeah. looking at him and, you know, you can tell he's there's like a lot of psychological warfare a, going yeah, on. It's, power play, it's, right? it's a shit disturber move. 
you know, yeah. he does he does that totally to create a ruckus. I to create you. a rumpus. <laughs> <laughs> and just by the way, for the record, I used to have rollerblades and I'm not gay. At least that I know of. So <laughs> at least I haven't discovered it in me yet. Maybe I haven't I haven't been touched the right way yet. <laughs> just, so just, just so if someone just tries to kind of just accuse me of being homophobic, I used to have rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so yeah the the interplay between gail and tom after the birthday i think this might be one of my i'm not gonna i don't want to go into deep, too deep but it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because of the whole them going from this disillusioned reflection on their marriage and she she says i you know i think you spend so much time at work because you don't want to be around me and then him opening his heart to her and then it turns into them him being making horny. a pass at her <laughs> yeah. the, the, he's like there's only one thing we can do and i just thought, I, did, I was like this feels like real people this this but, just felt like a real a real this interaction is, this is great i mean like i, I watch this scene every time just, there's only one thing you can do it's just oh great this is a divorce sort of situation like no he's making a joke because he's horny <laughs> we can bang it out right here right now <laughs> it's only a committed relationship type of conversation like the sex yeah. in the forest because so many like marriage therapy notes in this film <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's just so like we got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was great. And I just wrote in my notes. I said, all I can think during this scene is that these feel like real people. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, much. Sure. So much like real people. So great. Speaking of innuendo, I just wanted to mention because we, we got us. I mean, the two things I really, I really think we should touch on before we wrap up, at least because we're already two hours in. And then I've never believed that we'll be able to kind of go so easily for two hours plus about the River Wild. But here we are, and I'm super happy we're doing it. Ranger Johnny. Yes. Yeah. He comes in and he goes like, well, he just makes this sort of innuendo at Meryl Street because he knows who she is. And then she doesn't recognize him. He's just like, you know. Is to put is to put me to bed. <laughs> or is to go to bed and whatever. Just like okay, uh, at nine. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I used to. Oh, she was a babysitter, and then she used yeah. to go and bang all, yeah. the, all these other that's people. A, that's a funny line. I didn't take it as an innuendo, except maybe. See, I think kids at camp tend to know what the counselors are up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, the counselors yeah, are just yeah. you know Friday the Thirteenth style. They just it, all it gave, in the sack. That's right. It gave Gail a little bit more texture to her character as like sort of an adventurous, wild, you know, young girl when she was growing up there. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was great. And I like the way that they kind of set him up as sort of this, you know, do-gooder ranger who was going to help them out. Did you notice? So I love I love how um, how in that moment he's he's doing the SOS on the ground with his foot mm-hmm. and yeah. then Terry steps in and he's like, <laughs> I hurt my yeah, knee too. It's yeah. just like to look look down too. on my knee, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and then Terry steps in. But it's such a complex scene when you think about it. Like there's there's this tension all across the board, even though there's some inherent comedy in in what's going on because Ranger Johnny just thinks that he's just making making a fun observation and just meeting an old friend. Right. But then there's this tension because these people are in a hostage situation. This guy's trying to ask for help with his foot. Terry, mm-hmm. who's 
I think for the majority of the of, of the film, he's kind of just leading you to think that he's a bit of a need, an idiot. Like he's just kind of not, like he's he's always playing second fiddle because he's just not as well organized and, you know, he's just following orders is what he's doing. But he kind of has his own agency in this. He just steps in and does this. And then Wade is actually actively trying to make Ranger Johnny uncomfortable by making this massively racist remark. Yeah. So you guys clue into this just oh yeah. Ranger Johnny is this this he, is more uncomfortable says, to be uh yeah native instead of, and, and like and like like being black is is better than being a native and it's just like wow yeah. this is yeah this is, that was that was something that did like I know they were trying to make Wade more despicable but it, it just mm-hmm. stood out to me as it just felt weird in the context mm-hmm. of the movie like I don't know if it was if it was necessary but it you know. That I, that I noticed that a lot more. This I think he just around. wants him to go, right? I think that was yeah. sort of just like, I want to offend him so he would just go like, you know, screw you guys. Because I wonder if they made no. a point. Sorry, Jakob. Yeah, no, no, I just finished. Finish. Um, I wonder if they were making a point of uh, Ranger Johnny being a Native American for the whole Western thing because we have to have a good Native American in here. Because it's a Western. Because it's a Western. <laughs> <laughs> I did actively think that. It's just like, every movie is a western. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Comic book movies are westerns. Like I've I've already written an essay on this like two years ago for Clapper. You can go and read it. <laughs> One scene we didn't talk about yet that I I really was hoping to cover was the scene when uh, they wake up on that that morning after the birthday thing and after Wade has been watching um, Gail bathe that next morning. They're, they go to another beach and they're going to try to ditch them. This right. this moment when this all explodes is one of the most electrifying moments in the whole movie for me because it's just, it feels extremely tense, extremely emotional. David Strathairn is doing some amazing acting with just, you know, without saying much at all. And the gravity of the situation is just sort of washing over all of them. And mm-hmm. Wade is asserting himself in a in a way that he's been hinting at but we haven't seen yet in the movie like the sort of like well what are you gonna do you're gonna slap me or you're gonna do what are you gonna do tough guy stud like yeah he's but like, it, it's a it's a sort of again like a, okay well this is going from western to the hitchcockian sort of shoulder right yeah this is a hitchcockian scene because you know there's a gun wade knows he has a gun rourke knows he has a gun Strathiron doesn't know and he's just trying to be assertive and cocky and he goes like no I'm putting my foot down like I'm I'm being I'm being the lion in here I'm just you know yeah I'm doing this and, he, and notice how Strathiron is is handling this in a way that I think a lot of us would he's he's still being polite about it he's saying I'm gonna leave with my family this hasn't been working out between us we're gonna go and Wade is just cards on the table and well what are you gonna do about it you know if I if I keep you from going, what are you going to do about it? And just that moment when it all erupts and Wade is, you know, he, I think he he slaps uh, Tom and then Tom punches him. And then you hear this line that I think is really the one of the most important lines in the movie is look out, dad. He's got a gun because mm-hmm. the gun is 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 the power in the situation. Yep. That's the thing that in this whole movie, it's like, it's it's why I think this is so different than a lot of big action movies or thrillers is the only thing that's 
the difference between them is obviously they, there's a lot of character design and all of that, but the gun is this thing that is creating mm -hmm. all the power in the situation. Mm -hmm. And then, um, also uh, in the, that moment, everything's out on the table, right? Right. Like, like right. everyone knows. So that's sort of a piece as well. So now Tom's in on it and there's, there's no doubt with, um, uh, Meryl Streep's character. Like there's everyone, everyone's in on the situation. I mean, yeah. also, also the, this is a moment where Rourke chooses his allegiance as well, because yes. he's kind of like yeah. buddy, buddy with Wade. And he gave him a hat and they're in their boat together. He showed like, they have the secret together with this gun. And then when they're trying to kind of grab him off the uh, off the shore, he's like, "Stop fishing this! We're going!" And he's like, "I don't want to go." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Then, he says he tells yeah, him he's yeah. like, "I hate you." Yeah. And then, but he, the he chooses moment, the he right realizes, side, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then Wade says, which I think is one of the more important lines in the film as well. This is why I think this scene just resonated so much with me. He says, "I need your wife to get me down the river. I need your son to control her." Mm -hmm. You and the dog are expendable. I don't need you and the dog, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And right now I'm going to get rid of the dog. And he's such a terrible shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> because and like, I've never I could seen... shoot this dog from... <laughs> and I have never fired a gun. <laughs> and I've never seen a dog or an animal retreat on command. Because yes. Rourke it's is just Maggie, yelling to Maggie right? to run away. And she's just taking off like she knows what's going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is also um, probably arguably for the first time this dog has ever seen a weapon. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, what's that? And is, is, I don't know about I don't know about the it? I don't know about the two of you. I know we, we all have kids here. So mm -hmm. I don't know about the two of you, but the really the hard part to watch was when Wade slaps Rourke. Yes. And then he tells him, you know, he's upset with him for breaking his promise. And the mm -hmm. look on Rourke's face when he's just like about to tear up and he says, I thought you were a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it kind of pairs up nicely with this sort of, there is a moment where Terry's like, there's this awkward silence between Terry and Rourke and he's trying to kind of buddy up with him as well. And he goes like, you know, I'm only following, he scares me too and whatever. And yeah. just, he goes like, I don't care. It's like, it's yeah. over. It's over for us. Yeah. But it just, yeah. he asserts his, like, he, he, he almost becomes a, b a bit, like, he grows up a little. Like, he, well, yeah. essentially, maybe, he, mm -hmm. well, maybe his balls dropped a little. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he just, his voice started age. cracking in the raft. I know. Yeah. Because yeah. he just stops being this little, little bitchy little kid. He's now, he has this responsibility because, like, yeah. the dad's gone. He's now, he now, he now probably feels he has to kind of just sort of look out for his mom. Right as well. So yeah. Just, yeah. Did Great you notice scene. before that? So we're, when they're still all together, there's a moment when it turns and Rourke is sneaking his dad the pocket knife in the back mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. the raft. Well, using the yeah. sign language again. Yeah. Well, they're beautifully tied foreshadowed. Up. Like, why is his dad? Why is his dad deaf? Exactly. This is why. So they can yeah. communicate without them knowing. <laughs> yeah. That that's something that I think paid off well because I mean you could have had the sign language as something that would be an interesting inclusive detail that. Could have not paid off, but mm -hmm. it did, and I, and I thought it was like, what is great she saying to him? What is she saying to him? And she's clearly showing like one hand this way, that way. Like, she's showing they're gonna flip the boat, okay? Yes. Anyway, you were saying because again, like this is what I do. I barge in. I'm so sorry. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about so when they pass uh, Bridal Creek, and um, I think they're. I think this was when they're they still have uh, Tom with them, but mm -hmm. 
but they're they're going they're going past it and they um they see the people on the on the shore and it's almost like I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting doing? moment because you see this family like pulling their boat in and they're like, that's supposed to be us. <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to be going home. <laughs> yeah. That was the exit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's sort of the point of no return in this. And I, um, and I think that after that, now we're back to the point that uh, Jakob was talking about earlier, the scene where they're now in their last campfire together mm-hmm. as a group. And Tom's gonna Tom cuts himself free with the knife that Rourke gave him. And yep. this scene, this was mm-hmm. excellent. And I and I just I made a, a note on this that this there's so many moments in this movie that are just really simple but really tense. And the mm-hmm. way that this scene was orchestrated just was a perfect example of that. Also, there's a few stupid yeah. scenes in there because then he wakes Meryl Streep, uh, and then she's 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 tied up but she's tied up and like the sleeping bags tied up <laughs> yeah. you know there's a robot yeah. Of a sleeping yeah. Bag. <laughs> yeah it's just the best <laughs> yeah but it's great when strathairn makes his mis- uh makes his escape and is hiding out on the rocks on the other side and kevin bacon is going after him like that's that's a particular highlight mm-hmm. that scene and and then you get the uh, the continued uh, lack of proficiency with this weapon, just sort of shooting. <laughs> yeah, and, he and shoots missing. and he falls and he hits his head on the rock as well because he has this sort of snub nose three five seven magnum, which I suppose has a recoil like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this massive weapon, like just I don't know, like a, like a son of sort of yeah. dirty Harry's <laughs> sort of weaponry. This is great. Yeah. But then this also kind of leads to um, there's another scene later on, and this is where this piece of music that I really enjoyed was when when the, David Strathairn is trying to hide from them, and he's just trying to kind of hold on to a rock while before they disappear behind the bend, and then, then he yeah. falls and he tumbles yeah. like a bag of potatoes, and still his glasses are intact, which is great. <laughs> but he lost his yeah. strap because exactly he's, he made he's, yeah, he's he manning up. up. He he doesn't need the strap anymore. Yeah, or the big <laughs> snorkel. Just, the he other, needs a scene the in the next. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Did you, did you notice the turn with uh, with Gale after after Strathern's character has escaped? When Wade comes back to the campfire and he's basically saying he's like, "I shot him, Whitewater. He's dead." And then he's he's making these assumptions to her because he's she's not crying, and so he's like, "Things must have been worse with you two than I thought," mm-hmm. and. He's just asserting himself, and she she delivers this this other line that I thought was really important, where she says, "Go ahead, uh, don't keep telling me how tough you are, Wade. Just show me." Mm-hmm. And she finally mm-hmm. challenges him in a moment where she was she kept operating in fear prior to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of leads us to the gauntlet because this has been foreshadowed so many times already yeah. in the sort of bits yeah. of exposition here and there, and then you get to see it. How yeah. did you guys feel, especially especially if you can remember the first time you saw it? Did it live up to these expectations? Just by the way. Well, yeah. I mean, the, they have a scene. They have a, a shot where Tom is walking over these rocks, and he they finally pan over and they reveal this massive sort of convergence of the rivers, and you see mm-hmm. all the the white foam and everything. And there's like levels to these falls, and they do it in a way where it, it was really important for us to see the gauntlet before they Done. did. Yeah, so, they had so to there's have this sort of helicopter shot, I think, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it 
it works for me. And I think you need to see it in the context of the three layers, because a lot of the white, white, like you watch so many movies and it's spectacle and stunt and everything's over the top. If you take something that is legitimately uh, challenging and dangerous, such as, you know, this, this gauntlet, it, and again, this might be something that impacted the critics. Yeah, okay, we watched them do whitewater rafting. So yeah, it's a dangerous, but sometimes you can watch something a little bit more passively because mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, I see stunts in movies and people falling into planes and all this. So, but here, you know, like if you, if you invest in this and sort of, again, dig a little deeper and actually look at this scenery, that is, especially the, the three layer business, like that, that really is an intimidating Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, piece of nature right there, and uh, you know the force of nature. So, yeah, so it does work. I don't recall the first time I saw it, but yeah, certainly here, you know, mm-hmm. when you, when you see that that first shot of it, it's so impactful. I, I see. For me, this is something that's it's an important sort of like you 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 touched on this as well. Like if you watch Hollywood films, you'd expect something mag- magnificent and almost otherworldly. Like there mm-hmm. should there should be like a hundred meter drop off somewhere in right. there, and there would be like a Tyrannosaurus Rex at the bottom, like or something something ridiculous, <laughs> because yeah. reality doesn't cut it, right? Like you have to spice it up a little bit, and then here. And here you just have the location. There's nothing. I don't think there's anything that's just like pep, pepped up for the for the film. It's just what it is. This is just the river that's there, and it just happens to be insanely dangerous. Uh, and it's in, in like you watch the sort of the pan. At least I was. I was just like, it doesn't really look that scary. And then they just they just do these uh, slow mo shots with almost. We feel like there's a roaring lion. Just, just yeah in the background but then once um, they immediately start their sort of the first little whoop-de-doos in there and the camera's in the boat and you feel like you're you're in there and you're just like shit this is this is sketchy like this is, they're just bashing into these rocks and you're just like yeah. this this boat's not gonna survive is, is it? It, it it turns into william friedkin type of stuff yeah everything it's about yeah. the location it's about the naturalism and you know, like that's, I, I really do like this end, uh, but you do have to sort of disentangle yourself from expectations from other, other movies mm-hmm. because, you know, it's just a raft on a river, you know, so you could be underwhelmed by it. Uh, it feels a bit but, like Agira, like when you just think just like there are these people on the raft and then the camera's also on the raft and then Werner Herzog's also on the mm-hmm. raft and and he keeps people telling people to stop being cowards. <laughs> so. Yeah. There, there is, there's so much intensity because I think the way that they film it, I mean, they, I, that was one thing I noted was like, everything feels very dangerous in this scene when they're, when you see them coming off the, uh, the first set of falls and you think, oh, that was, that was the worst part. And then no, Gail says, easy, no, that was the easy yeah, part. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the next level and it's just and you like, you see the drop worse. as well. <laughs> I just, you know, the peak of the, the gauntlet I mean, it was pure adrenaline. I don't. I kept asking myself, how could they fake this stuff? You can't fake this stuff. It all they just didn't. looks so real and tangible. No, they're doing it. Yeah, they're doing it. The yeah. only thing they think they did was for these sort of massive drops. I think they replaced Meryl Streep for this because you could see that there's right. a different yes. person in the. There are different people in the boat in some scenes, and in scenes I, I think where where the camera is on the boat and they're actually actively bashing against these rocks. They're it is Kevin Bacon. It is John C. Riley moaning like an yeah. absolute little bitch, and then there's yeah. and there's Meryl Streep in it. Yeah. But then when they have these sort of pulled out shots, when when they're trying to get 
get like, oh we're getting sucked in and they're just trying to puddle up yeah. you can see that this is someone else and you can clearly yeah. see this is ADR. Like you can feel like Meryl Streep's in the booth going like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and, and remember, while they're on this, while they're on this uh, gauntlet, they're well going into it. Tom is on his vision quest and is um, giving, the giving Gale the the smoke signals, and then you know figuring out, oh, he needs to cross the river to to you know paint some symbols so that she'll know that he's alive. And don't and flip the, the boat as well. He needs to let her know so she right. doesn't flip the boat. Right. And then the, mm-hmm. the payoff of Maggie finally listening to Tom and jumping into the water. I, I, I swear he I begs her as well when that happened. He's <laughs> like, he's like, come, Maggie, come. I was like, yes, finally. Yeah, I, I, I felt that moment. That was a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was no one there to see it. Yeah. There there was so there's two Maggie moments right before they yeah. And he didn't have to say the word treat. Come on, right, right. treat. <laughs> right, right. Um, there was two moments that I feel like were finally pushing us to the point where, I mean, if you didn't already think Wade was psychotic and, you know, just uh, this horrible uh, villain already was right before they go into the, the gauntlet when he kills Ranger Johnny mm-hmm. uh, and he, he stops them because at that point, we hadn't seen Wade or Terry kill anyone yet. So there was no. still like this, they're dangerous, but there hasn't been any representation mm-hmm. of that yet. So it was all implied, Frank, right? Yeah, Frank Frank was implied and all <laughs> that. So he kills, he kills Ranger Johnny. But then the other moment, and this was also kind of heart-wrenching to me as a parent, was when she begs him to um, not tie Rourke into the boat. Mm-hmm. To like give him a, a yeah. fighting chance or mm-hmm. something. It's like, well, you have to try a little bit harder not to flip the boat. Eh? Yeah, yeah, because I need you at your best. And actually, I thought that was a well-written response for that character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just you know, it's not just the trope. Well, they should be tied up. It's not just you know because he's a nasty villain. It's just, no, this is dangerous. I realize that you need to be the absolute best whitewater rafter you can be. Yeah. So you're going to be motivated <laughs> if your son's at extra risk. Well, and yeah. it's also just it's it's his own self interest, self preservation. Because you're mm-hmm. not going to do anything stupid uh, to hurt me. Because she he knows that she knows that he doesn't swim, which is mind boggling when you think about. It. This is the plan they've devised. Like this is not something that they just oh. We were just here by accident. No, no, this was their plan to act, to escape through this, and they were just like, "What?" Didn't they? Didn't this occur to him in a meeting when before this happened? When there's a guy. By the way, guys, I don't know how to swim. <laughs> I actually just, thought it's... it would be an interesting character choice too, if at some point in the movie they revealed that Wade could swim, and it was it was something that he was kind of like hiding and and then at, at some point they thought she she was going to try to sabotage it because she thought okay that's his weakness i can mm-hmm. get him over in this right. and then finds out that he can but but i think it worked the way it worked well <laughs> as is yeah. it would have it, it would have involved a massive cooperation on behalf of terry because um it, it's terry who goes like wait well, doesn't know how to swim so yeah. means he would have to be <laughs> in on it from the minute one and then he as we've established he's a bit of a moron <laughs> so so it's kind of yeah. difficult i i had a little uh moment during the gauntlet sequence that was like the uh leonardo dicaprio rick dalton pointing at the tv because uh gail gail says to rourke she says feel like going to boston me too the vacation's over 
because the tagline on the poster <laughs> for this movie over. is the vacation is over. Vacation's over. Yeah. I was just like, aha. <laughs> nice. So, so we get to the end. Like, the, what did you guys think of the big uh, after they get through the gauntlet and the final confrontation with uh, Tom and him setting off the trap and all of that? I kind of feel like his uh, Tom's idea of what the trap would do in his head worked out better. As in, like, he, he clearly he's an architect. Like on paper, this was amazing. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> just he, he drops this bucket of shit. <laughs> it's just like it barely moves the boat, and just and basically just what it does it just pissed off Kevin Bacon. That's yeah. all it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just sort of stops them, but they weren't really going very fast at that point. No, because the water is like an, yeah. ankle deep well, as well. It, it's yeah. It got Terry out of the boat. That's the one thing is is Terry yeah. falls out, and then it gives them enough distraction that. Tom can swim underneath it and then do it again to try to get uh, weighed out. Mm-hmm. But and, yeah, and I it thought that was a few. It leads to a few weird scenes as well. I mean, few weird decisions, which I don't mind because I'm in the moment with them. Uh, yeah. Where Gail eventually gets the gun, and then she points, mm-hmm. um, she points it at Wade, and he goes like, hey, "Oh, you can't do this! Oh, you know I can't do this!" And then he, she she decides, "Okay, I'm not gonna kill you, so I'm gonna fire this one last round." And she just fires this one last round, click, and doesn't go. And but she if first, I, I'm not sure if she if she just sets the revolver first, but so that it wouldn't fire. And then mm-hmm. she goes, she then ju- she just resets it so that it would actually go in the chamber. You can see the bullet going into the chamber. And then yeah. she says, wrong. <laughs> she said, there was a way. There was a way. That, so you think, so she did know that so, the, the the bullet wasn't in the chamber yet, right? It, it looks like it. So it was, was that her like a long con? Like just, is she yeah. assuming that he's not going to pounce at her knowing that? There is no bullet in the gun. It's just like, what's happening? This is just like, like, out of all things, this is kind of just arguably one of the stupidest decisions in the film. Yeah, it's a weird little moment for me. I don't know if I quite put together what I was watching or why it played out that way or what the point was. Just butchered my bottom. Well, I think she does. I think she does need to know. (laughs) I, I think, I think Wade has her pegged correctly that she needs to know that she needs to kill him and Mm -hmm. that he wasn't really going to, because now they've gone through the gauntlet and everything she has already seen him kill someone, but I think she's at this moment where she's not sure if she's ready to kill someone and she needed that. I think that's where that came into play. Mm -hmm. She did say earlier, and I think she was motivated by it. She, she did say earlier she, and it's a great little moment, a great delivery by Streep where she leans in in a close up to Bacon's ear. I'm going to kill you. Like Mm -hmm. that was after Tom was, was, uh, she thought Tom was dead, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that she knows if the opportunity comes up, like sh- she's going to do this guy in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I just, I don't know. I think we've done. We've basically just went through this film scene by scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, <laughs> yeah. I know we we went a little longer than I. I'm not sure, I'm sure if you wanted to go this long, but no, like that. I have no, a fight. It was I have, awesome. We have the, a fight club rule in here, as in like the episode's gonna go along go on for as long as it has to. Clearly, it has yeah. to go for three hours. <laughs> I, I, I think some people might have thought that it was too cheesy or however it was wrapped up, but when the sheriff or the marshal is inner is kind of talking to Rourke on the side of the river at the end after the family's all reunited. Um, and he's asking him about his mom and 
if he was scared. And he says, <laughs> what did your dad do? The, yeah, the line. I, I mean, I know these were sort of cheesy and they were supposed to put the put the bow on everything. But I like the way when he, he said, yeah, I wasn't scared of the river. I knew my mom could handle the river. Um, and then he's asking him about his dad. And he says, oh, my dad, he saved our lives. That was but, sort of the the payoff to both of them saying mom was able to handle the river. Dad, dad was able to save us. Yeah. Yeah. And dad should have been the lead. Uh, <laughs> just, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Pink snorkel. Calm down. <laughs> And I'll I'll dwell on another one of my themes from from the River Wild. So this this these weird apparatus that are sort of hanging on either side of the riverbank that uh, Tom uses, and he constructs this you know uh, pulley or swing or whatever he does with the cables and the buckets. In five feels minutes, like in a no less. By the way, <laughs> oh yeah, like he's he's efficient. Maybe he shouldn't be drafting plans. He should just be out building. Um, but anyway, it reminded me again. Western. This is an abandoned mine equipment, is all I could think. Because what was this gear? Exactly, <laughs> like, it's yeah, an abandoned yeah. mine <laughs> <laughs> on a riverbank. Yeah. Coming back, by the way, to the uh, the little interview at the end, the line that police officer says is extremely unnatural. By the way, everything is natural, but this one is kind of just like just to reinforce this. That okay, well, we need to just. Put a little sort of, um, you know, the, the new moment here has to be kind of just forcefully just delivered. But and your dad, what did he do? <laughs> like, I said, like, like where this, was he this whole time? Exactly. Who was that actor, by the way? Oh, sorry. Continue. Uh, no, I don't know. But then I was wondering. Um, as I, I, I look at the scene, and you know what this would, the, the film could have ended before this, and you could you could see this little sort of window. Uh, so this little frame so the credits are rolling on one side and you have this sort of like you have outtakes or like gag reel or whatever right and it, this could have been shot uh and cut like a fake documentary where <laughs> joseph yeah. mazello is just sort of like a talking head and he's just being asked these questions from behind the camera like <laughs> he's mm. being interviewed <laughs> and your dad what did he do my dad he saved our lives and then he just fades to black and then just Jerry Colesmith kicks and just doo, 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 doo. and it's again Forrest Gump sorry <laughs> I can see how I can see how part of the lines were a little unnatural but I did I felt like it was just sort of like this this cheesy little dollop of of frosting on top of this really sweet cake of a movie that just mm-hmm. was I don't know it it ended up the the, the right way and I just love that final shot where he's just catching the family reuniting with the river, just roaring yes. behind them. So golden hour as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and what happens next? Roll credits. There's no such exactly. thing as like, Oh, we need to pay off the granny again, or, or just make sure that we remember there was also a little girl in the film for like no. half a minute. Yeah. No, no, it's like the seventies. We finished the action roll credits we're, done. Yeah. We're, we're done. done. Here. <laughs> we don't need Actually, anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just looked up that actor and I had half a thought last night. Is that the guy, like, he's young, but is that the guy that was in 24, the agent that was in 24? And it is Glenn Morshower, character oh, actor. Okay. He was in several seasons of 24. Anyway, sorry. What Maybe. a great name, Glenn Morshower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he goes hand really in hand with Roger Spottiswood. Really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so my question. My question to you guys in the casting uh, what ifs here, because there were, 
I guess, some things online. I don't know if these were true or not. Is this a better movie with Sam Neill in the Tom role and Ray Liotta in the Wade role? No, this is perfect as it is. I've seen this. I've seen this this line as well, and I'm just thinking to myself, this was a be- This was the best thing ever. I think that Sam Neill probably decided to go and star in Event Horizon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah Strathairn. I'll say, I'll say Strathairn. Uh, perfect. I like Ray, Ray Liotta. I'm on a bit of a Ray Liotta kick this year. Um, I that would be very interesting. But Bacon is perfect in here. But I think Liotta yeah. would also have done a good job on it. I think I think Liotta is a little bit too. I don't know, too suspicious from the jump. I don't know. I I, I feel like in a, another movie that was a couple years before this, Unlawful Entry, where yep. you have Leota kind of you know stepping in on a family and intruding, and it's mm-hmm. another sort of thriller. It's just you see, you see his cards on the table from the jump there. I think this is one of those scenarios where I love the movie so much that I don't want to change a thing, even with the prospect of, it's something that might be just as good. It's just so hard to imagine Sam Neill doing the role as well as Strathairn did, even though he's mm-hmm. extremely talented as well. And I think there are some moments of warmth and almost trust trustworthiness that Bacon pulls off that Leota might not be able to do. Yeah, as you said, I think Leota is... Um more on overtly like he has this sort of weird look on his face that just his rest his resting facial expression is a little bit more sinister yeah he's got yeah. a sinister smile almost naturally which would work for the wade character i, I think leota is a really good take but at the same time i think you said it well why it's hard to imagine touching this since it's 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 really solid the way that it is but it also comes back to um it comes back to Kevin Bacon, and this is something that I think Jackson, you mentioned in the very beginning, or maybe you, Randy, one of you, someone did not, it clearly wasn't me, so either one of you two, <laughs> uh, where Kevin Bacon is kind of like a weird mix. He kind of straddles the line between being a leading man and being kind of like a, either a mm-hmm. supporting character or a villain. And he's, mm-hmm. al- and he's always kind of, this is what makes him a great villain because he kind of, and I feel like he's always, he's just in the supporting role, he's, he can he can easily overshadow and intimidate the cast because he's just that good. So I feel like as a sup- he's almost a supporting character that kind of grows into this sort of massive uh he he sells you on being he tries to he's trying to sell you on being insignificant but you know that he's um he's he's an important piece of the puzzle but equally he's not Marlon Brando where you could see like if you see I don't know, Robert De Niro in this role or someone who of this caliber would be just like, he's going to be important because no one casts Robert De Niro to just go and just right. give give a boy a hat, right? right? Clearly going to be an important character. And then you can actually, in, at May specifically at this time, you could get away with Kevin Bacon passing himself off as a little bit insignificant that mm-hmm. you don't quite know whether he's the, uh, uh, he's the leading uh, sort of, uh, he, well, uh, he he's this of the head of 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 of, 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 of this sort of group of bad guys. Like he does, he doesn't have necessarily. Like you have to kind of warm up to him. It's like okay, well, I think he's he's more dangerous than he than he gives off. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's. I I think I'm spent. By the way, I don't know if you guys have any more notes, but I think, <laughs> I think we, we covered I think, it. Yeah, I think we covered it. Yes, yeah, so I made think it through I, the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> we we did run the gauntlet. 
So final final thoughts. Final thoughts, guys. I think we've done it. So Jackson, what's your final take? <laughs> okay, so for me, you know, like we said earlier in the episode, and probably often on Uncut Gems, this movie never gets made today. This kind of movie is just such a rare treasure of the past. Um, and we're I saying think, this with exp expressed knowledge that this is being remade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this movie as it is, that's the thing. It's just yeah. with the talent of Hanson and Elswit and Goldsmith behind it, I just don't see it at that level with that production quality being made today and with the cast. I mean, because the, the size cast of production, have, too. Like, yeah, like the absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this film might have been considered conventional. Uh, back in the day, but I feel like through the context of of today, its strengths are just revealed to be so much more remarkable. And I mean, just having this drama of a crumbling marriage colliding with this thriller, with the criminals fleeing into the the rapids. I mean, everything works on stellar levels in this movie. And I just I can't say enough good things about it. So I'm I'm glad we got to to chat it up. And uh, it was. Hours and hours well spent. Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Randy, tell me that you tell me tell me that you also warmed up to this to to loving yes, this. So, film. Uh, yeah. So, thank you. This conversation has taken me from a solid B, probably to a B plus. Like, I really like this film. Oh, it's, just hold your horses, Jesus. <laughs> <clears throat> slow, down. slow down. I know. <clears throat> if the credits were reversed, it was like David Strathairn, Meryl Streep. It'd still have, You'd be yeah, like, this like, is the best. <laughs> this still remains sort of my, my issue here. Is, and, and you guys did a phenomenal job defending Streep as being sort of the lead. But I, I think Strathairn needs to be there as an equal with, with his journey. So um, that's sort of a, a remaining beef that I, I do have here. But yeah, this is, a, this is a good film. And if you just have this on and you're casually watching it while you're sort of eyeing your phone, I can see how this is a... A casual half decent film but it's a lot stronger than that it survives it survives a picking and there is some there's some depth in here this conversation has helped me realize that this idea like i had made notes okay what's the theme here marriage and toughing it out and this type of thing and the vision quest thing if you really look at this it survives a pick it's it's solid stuff it's simple but it's it's really woven into this script nicely and uh you know there's there's a lot of merit in sort of the the story and the the characters and even dare i say the messaging uh, of you know marriage mm -hmm. and it's worth sticking it out and you know don't be a lazy participant in your marriage like there's some there's some good stuff in here and it's not just a hallmark level depth it's it's pretty good um so yeah no i i like this and i am with, thrilled to have spent the last seven hours talking about it with you guys <laughs> <laughs> well as we've established like we've like this you know, we've talked about this for two and a half days now. We've 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 ridden the gauntlet. This is an amazing film. This is there's nothing's gonna change my mind on this. Like this is amazing. This is one of the best films ever made. Come on, this is this is the, this is 90s at its finest. It has Meryl Streep in her 40s, looking like an absolute fox as well. <laughs> it's just being maniacal, hysterical, and as at the same time confident, self-assured. An absolute badass, and then David Strathairn being a badass nerd who's packing, and Joseph Mazzello doesn't even—I don't mind that he's bitching half the time. It's just great. It's just yeah. great. Kevin Bacon's bacon is amazing. It's just everybody's great Sizzles. at what they're doing here. Everybody <laughs> yes. is performing on all cylinders. 
Bacon like, sizzles. I get it. I get it that it's conventional. I know. But you know, it's a club sandwich is what it is. But it's a club sandwich. You know what's in a club mm-hmm. sandwich, right? There's chicken, there's lettuce, there's some mayo, and it's just perfectly toasted bread. The chicken's succulent. There's some bacon in it. And this bacon's <laughs> crispy in just the right way. Just a bit, just salty enough. And the and the lettuce not wilted. The tomato is just the, just about the right thickness, not too thick, so it wouldn't just overwhelm you. Not too thin, so it just fall apart. Everything's perfect. It's just a perfectly assembled sandwich. And then you can at the, at the end of the day, you can always say it's still a sandwich. Well, sourpuss. Sometimes sandwiches are good for you if you if they're if they're done the right way by a competent chef. And these chefs, there were so many chefs in the kitchen. You know, Curtis Hansen, Jerry Goldsmith, Robert Ellsworth, and all the all the cast, they all contributed. I suppose the cast is the chicken and uh, and the lettuce. I don't I don't know. I, I kind of lost my train of thought in this analogy. <laughs> and but Dennis one, O'Neill, don't forget the script writer. And Dennis O'Neill is the yes. male in here who just keeps everything together. Just make sure that the bread sticks to the chicken and, and just make sure that once you pick it up, it wouldn't just, once you bite into it, so the chicken wouldn't eject the other direction like an absolute tit. So it's it's just what it is. Like it, It's not groundbreaking. It's like a deconstructed souffle. No, it's a club sandwich and it's a club sandwich to remember, okay? That's what it is. <laughs> this is what happens after you after you've been speaking about a movie for eighteen and a half hours. Um, but anyway, I think it's time for a top threes and bottom bottom threes yeah. and and any honorable mentions that you may have, Jackson. Okay, give us your tops. Well, my top three were the easy ones because this is a great movie. Um, my number one, I'll start with. Uh, so yeah, my, I'll start from three. So my number three was Gail and Tom reconnecting after the birthday uh, campfire scene. Uh, this one little scene showed enough chemistry and growth between the two characters at odds, um, more so than I think entire films have. Like just seeing this journey between them where they're like, they're going through it, they're doubting each other, they're questioning each other, and then they have this moment of just reconnection and humor in it too it's just like there it was it was perfect it it was perfect it was just enough to give you hope for their marriage Mm -hmm. um my number two is the the confrontation on the beach when they realize that uh wade has the gun and they're and he's taking over and that whole scene you know that was the tension that felt real where you feel like all the performances are dialed in Strathairn, Bacon, Streep, you know, they're making magic happen. And Mazzello is just making me believe in the danger of the situation is just breaking my heart. So that was my number two. And number three, I really didn't have a choice uh, going into this or my number one, I should say, I didn't have a choice going into this was the gauntlet. Just one Mm -hmm. of the most authentic examples of natural danger put to screen. I felt it every second of the way. And that was that was the top three for me. Fabulous. Randy? Cool. All right. A couple. Are they all, are they all Strathairn related? Well, funny you should mention. <laughs> <laughs> a couple honorable mentions. I do like the, at the beginning of the journey, I mentioned this when David Strathairn is trying to put the glasses straps on and he's just sitting in the back of the raft, not really engaged, trying to be as safe as, as possible. I liked that. Another honorable mention also for my man. Strathairn is his relationship with the dog. 
the dog never listens. I think that's just a nice little touch. Um, and the last of my honorables, I, I like the idea of the $200 gift mm-hmm. from Kevin Bacon. It's just this weird, but sort of astute little character beat. And it's this shit disturbing move by Bacon and it stirs up the eeriness. It's sort of stacking on these levels of, um, uh, not conspiracy, but, uh, of, of doubt and distrust that we have with the characters as the audience and, and also with, with Strathairn, right. Cause he's, Oh, you can't do that. Like that's too much. Like it's just, it's just a great little moment. Um, now for my actuals, I really like the scene where uh, Strathairn jumps in to save Kevin Bacon. The whole thing is great, but it's, it's great for the Strathairn character. And I like how the underwater stuff is shot where you've got these shots where, He's pulling him down. So Bacon is pulling Strathairn down. It's fantastic. Um, I like the close-up where Streep leans into Bacon and says about the gauntlet, I cannot do this. It's a really touching moment because she has probably lived... So she rode the gauntlet when she was like 18. I think she says... Well, she has probably spent 18 years since that. So she spent a whole other lifetime becoming a mom, you know, getting comfortable in her career and chasing trains. Yeah. So, but this whole business here is like, she now has this doubt, like this is a young person's game. And I don't know if I'm up to this. And like, I think that's just a great moment delivered, great delivery by great actors. I think that's why I love I love that moment too, Randy. That was one that yeah. I, I was wanting to talk about earlier in the conversation. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, it's it's just a nice touch. It's a nice touch. The line, I, I like the close up and I love the delivery where it's like, yeah. like it's very, it's earnest concern that she doubts herself. Uh, yeah, great little moment. And then uh, same as Jackson, like the gauntlet, the sort of the final, uh, the final action act, like it's a big deal and watching this go down almost like on a William Friedkin type of level that's it's really fun to watch. It's really engaging. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, it's a really great moment. And that's my top. Awesome. No, okay. How do I how do I play this? Because I have like six things to choose from. <laughs> do so what good. I did, call some of them honorable mentions. Okay, call honorable mention. Honor- okay, honorable mention because it's a little bit funny and I don't quite know how to how what to make of it. And it's just like when when Joseph Mazzello meets Kevin Bacon, he's just like, oh, that's my mom, and and it just cuts to Meryl Streep pumping a raft, and you can see just and, and you can feel like she like on one hand. This is again expert screenwriting and direction. On one hand, it's more direction than screenwriting. On one hand, it's it's like, well, you can see her in this sort of like, I'm commandeering this, I'm pumping up the raft. And at the same time, you can see it from Kevin Bacon's perspective, he's ogling her ass. It's just it's just such an expert, it's just half a second and you know exactly where you are. It's, it's great. Um so another little one, little moment, uh, would be uh just when Meryl's commandeering Terry and uh and 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 Wade in the boat's like come on like she's like Captain Jack Sparrow. It's <laughs> just come on, do you want to live forever? <laughs> <laughs> she turns but, into a drill sergeant at the end. Yeah, she does. The, yeah. Come on, Paolo is just like don't yeah, and but no, she just it just comes out of her. Um like she also just hits John John C. Riley on the hand and breaks his arm. It's just great. Um but then 
this li- there's this little moment in Blink and You Miss It when they finish the gauntlet. Kevin Bacon like lets out a scream, like and you can not- they just filmed it because they just did it, <laughs> and it's, it looks natural. Just like he's super yeah. happy that they did it, yeah. and he's uh, he like he's just like we're alive type of scream. <laughs> so <Yeah>. great. <laughs> okay, on to my actual threes. One of them, I mean, you guys meant like I'm gonna cancel cancel one of them because the the scene when she leans into uh, the guy's ear, um, and uh, and then she, I'm gonna leave it out because you you've, you've guys talked about it at length already. But just wanted to mention that one one word of this is the word nothing that she just enunciated in such a sexy way. Just mm-hmm. your pathetic nothing life is just just yes, ma'am. It's just <laughs> so great. <laughs> so number three. Meryl's talking talking to her mom in the beginning when she, they just talk about this this whole idea of just laying out the the marriage drama underneath it and and then just laying out how how much of a complex character Meryl is and her, it's just great. We talked about it at length. Another one, Meryl being casually hysterical talking about the gauntlet and she's you don't know if she's crying, you don't know if she's laughing. She's kind of doing both and she's doing the she's doing these snorts every now and again and I just think <laughs> yeah. she, she just laughs and just <laughs> it's just it's the best. Acting in this is just like well, Curtis, you hired an Oscar winning actress, you're getting an Oscar winning actress, okay? <laughs> it's just it's just what it is. Uh, so that's number 2 and number 1 the slapping scene. So, what are you gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna do stuff and just slaps David Strathairn and this sort of which which culminates in this stuff. Watch out, Dad! He's got a gun. What a scene! What a scene! What a picture! Now, bottoms. Okay, so for me, this mm-hmm. was the hardest part of the whole exercise was find something you didn't like about this because there was there wasn't really many moments like we were talking about early on every scene has a purpose every scene like ties into it mm-hmm. so i've got to say i i really only have two things that i can mention mm-hmm. i was really trying to go for a third but i and i was about to say the scene with her mom at you know when they were talking about marriage i was like maybe that could have been communicated <laughs> another way but yeah Jakob, i like i i like that scene too that was i was literally trying to trim the fat wherever i could here <laughs> the only two things i could come up with were my my number two or my number two was the first set of rapids the the choice to have strathern's character so wildly uncomfortable and i just i don't know i i felt like he would have been at least a little bit on her level but I, I like it for the character still. So I'm, my I know note, I'm, I know my note I'm, is what's you're like, reaching. Yeah. Straight, reaching. Strathairn moaning in the boat. I've got this. Yeah. It, it almost looks like he Ooh. needs a, Ooh. like a, a, a Dramamine or something. Like he's about to hurl uh, either that first one. Cause it's going up and down. Um, and oh, then the other so thing was, better. the other thing was all the Indian Johnny stuff. Um, uh, I suppose that was intended to make a despicable character even worse, but, I don't know. Just I feel in case like, you didn't get the memo, Kevin he's Bacon's also a villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that's that's what I got. I got I got a bottom two. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm gonna accept the cop out on the behalf on, on, on at the uh, sort of the fact that I, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Fine, your your excuse, <laughs> Randy. Give me and your you're top a beloved two. guest, so exactly. Yeah, we'll, so you we'll know, let it go. Out. We'll let it go this time. Thank you, yeah. guys. Um, do you want to borrow one of mine? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Hey, I have a feeling it may be goldsmith related, so I'm gonna have to. No, why don't you? Why don't you take the punch underwater? This. Oh yeah, this, the punch. Yeah, the punch underwater. There, that that will be, work. This month's ego's writing checks. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. So, yeah. So actually, I don't have too much either. Like, I really enjoyed this. Um, I will say this though. At one point, David Strathairn. This is a mini ugly. He removes his glasses. This is before they ever get in the water. And I forget what he's doing, but he puts his glasses in the back pocket of his jeans. And I'm like, who does that? Like People who don't wear glasses. Exactly. <laughs> so that's sort of my mini ugly, that and the, the punch underwater. But I loaned that one out. Um, so you just mentioned this. Actually, sorry to do this to you, Jacoby. You mentioned this amongst the scenes that you liked. But when Streep is uncontrollably laughing... I had this Abram Zucker comedy type of feel to it where someone just inhaled laughing gas and they have to explain, this is so dangerous. <laughs> We're all going to die. <laughs> but you didn't so see the Abraham Zucker sort of scene in Miller's Crossing in this sort of big shootout with the Gatling gun. Because yeah. it wasn't there. It's there. Go back and watch that for the homoeroticism and it'll be a masterpiece. Oh, come on. Three bucks a month on patreon.com subscribe and listen to the conversation. It's great. Like it nearly came to blows. Anyway, you were saying. Okay. So anyway, that's my number three. Um, I have a little category here. So it, we talked about one of the complaints about this is some of the cliches, but I think we sort of disassembled that argument fairly thoroughly, but there's a couple instances where there's a couple cliches that could have been done a little differently. And one is where, John C. Riley's asleep and David Strathairn is sneaking up on him. And it just looks very odd that he's tiptoeing and it just seems very corny in a way. And, you know, would you while want Pink Panther music to it as well? Adam? Yeah, that's what it could Adam? have used. And it, <laughs> while he's doing it, of course, Strathairn uh, has to stop for a second because John C. Riley just shuffled and he rubbed his nose in his sleep as always happens so anyway that was sort of one little cliche thing which because it's a western okay well yeah well <laughs> there you go <laughs> if i support one of randy's themes then he won't disagree with me <laughs> um and another little Thumbs cliche up. moment we were talking about that and and uh, i think you guys might to a certain extent be on my side with this um but when Morshower, the the ranger at the end, is asking uh, you know, the son, you know, what did your mom do? What did your dad do? And it's just a little bit of ugh. And I can appreciate that. I think, Jackson, you said, well, the film is so good, it, it earns that, and I'm fine with it. But to me, it sort of stood out as a little, eh, eh. I could have done without that. Um, and number one, I, there's just something with this score I couldn't vibe with, like a good chunk of this score. And I'm usually not one to complain about uh, music and score like I'm usually pretty chill but there's just something that just didn't quite fit with me the Planet of the Apes stuff did you, did you not like the uh, there's this little theme that kind of comes comes back a few times when they have these sort of pull out shots the sort of dum, 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 is it the drum just, no this just I don't know this this sort of like ominous like we're we're heading towards our uh, our impending doom sort of yeah, theme yeah that that might have been okay because I don't really remember like to me this action he like, wants like doo -doo 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 -doo. that's the stuff that was driving me jerry goldsmith planet foolish. of the apes yeah. hello 
yeah so that that stuff i i couldn't get behind but the, yeah the more casual stuff it like to me score and editing it's stuff if you don't notice it then it's probably just fine but it stands out when it's really exceptional and it stands out uh when it's awkward and to me this sort of stood out as awkward for me all righty then so okay i'm I've got small ones and big ones. So let's just... Small ones are themed around David Stratiron, okay? <laughs> sometimes his line, line delivery is odd. And then sometimes... Sometimes he just feels like he's... I don't know. Just a little bit too over the top. So I've got two of... I have more, but I decided to kind of keep it to two. Uh, so I've got Stratiron moaning in the boat. Just... Oh! Oh! <laughs> it's just odd. And then my other note is... <clears throat> Strathairn's giving stra- uh, stern looks. So it has two occasions in the boat when she's like, maybe for you. And he, he just he just wipes his glasses and just, <laughs> just yeah, <laughs> trying to give a stern look. Like he's like someone's like, like a three-year-old trying to wink. Just... <laughs> just... <laughs> It's just like I don't know how to move my facial muscles yet, mommy, but I'm gonna try. And it's just everyone's like, "Oh, so cute!" But you're 50, okay? <laughs> okay, my, my bottom three all relates to again. The theme is the 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 finale of the film. And like it's not not even okay. One of them is first of all just David Strahan's like the fastest runner in this side of the Mississippi because he just <laughs> outruns the boat and he sets up this massive contraption while they're doing this that then this contraption does absolute fuck all <laughs> it's just just taps the boat and it's just like I expected more I thought like he spent so much time in just and he has this sort of hope it's kind of like a home alone sort of like montage where he's just like okay i'm gonna draw a few signs and one of them's i love you it's just like yeah. he has time for this <laughs> and it's just imagine if kevin McAllister just spent like 20 minutes in this montage of like just putting these lines together and everything and at the end of the day it's just a balloon going like pop surprise and it's just like are you scared yet that's a bucket of rocks that falls <laughs> Just and it and just and they all look at it it's just like you missed. Now we're gonna kill you. <laughs> so that's one. Another one is when it's it's uh, they're both kind of tied to the same scene. So I'm gonna do them in order. One of them is when Meryl Streep goes. Like I said, I, I mentioned this already. She sh- shoots in the air and she goes like, "There was a way." And she has time to just do this and then she shoots and there was a way. There's such a terrible line. And she then, so that's one. And the final one, when she shoots uh, Wade, Terry was about to kill Tom, and he just gives up at this point. I said, "What's your what? No, just kill him. Just, <laughs> just he, he's right there. Just, <laughs> just stab him." <laughs> and he's just like, all of a sudden, he's just like, he just lost his mojo. He's just, oh, he also has a broken now. arm at that point. He has a broken arm at that point. So is he? I, I also was questioning, like, is he going to be able to overpower Tom? I, I don't know. I mean, no, just, but he, he gets a knife and just opens it with his with his with his teeth. Just nah, he's time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and then when she points a gun at him as well, he just does this with his. No, I'm just you know, I'm just playing. <laughs> it's just. Just, it kind of feels I mean I love this film too but it kind of feels like at the end where we've just gone through the gauntlet and it's just like okay well we have to kind of just drive it gotta, home somehow gotta wrap this up <laughs> and wrap this. <laughs> she did She did say she was gonna kill Bacon so we gotta 
resolve uh, that. Yeah. So it kind of feels <laughs> like it's a bit of a wet noodle sort of situation at the end. Anyway, uh, I think we're, we've done it. So, Jackson, massive thanks for showing up uh, to defend. You're, like, in my head, you're now like the 90s defender. Like, every time I know <laughs> that I'm going to have some problems with these folks because you never know these days. Like, they disappointed me so much with the Deep Impact episode. And then for the whole time, I was thinking, Jackson should have been here. And then you messaged me afterwards, like, I should have been on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't have been alone. <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, like, next time, next time, I, I just... I just have to have 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 this sort of kindred spirit, yeah. <laughs> just in case yeah. someone tries to tries to shit on a childhood classic for me. <laughs> well, th- this one for me, I'll be honest. I'm so glad that you guys had me on for this because this was one where I knew I liked it and I knew I enjoyed it growing up. But on rewatch, this just made me love it even more. And I'm I'm I definitely see myself rewatching this again in the near future. There you go. And now it now it now it's validating this either hopefully past Blu-ray purchase. <laughs> so you yes. already have it on yeah. your shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh the way it's supposed to be seen. Which yeah, anyway, so let's just let's just wrap this up. So Jackson, where can we find you on social media and everything? All right. Well, I am on Twitter at Jackson Boren. Um love getting on there and I'm talking about movies, old and new, and uh, reconnecting with uh, others like like yourselves on here, and uh, sharing sharing pictures of weird memorabilia from from the '90s and making me remember films. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I love I love to unlock yes. the memories because I'm always like, uh, you know, I'll I'll find something and I'll be like, I completely forgot about that, and just yeah, your your tweets are conversation starters in my head. Like I like <laughs> like seeing your your stuff pop up. It's like, like what, what now? That's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I sometimes actually stalk you both because like you're just gonna tweet something and Randy's gonna reply, and it's just like oh, I'm gonna follow <laughs> on this, and just like I'm gonna, like I'm not here. I'm just reading. <laughs> it's just uh, these odd little tidbits. What was the Catwoman thing that the shot cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars and Michelle oh, yeah. Pfeiffer was nowhere near? That's just great little stuff. <laughs> yeah, sometimes like I'll come across stuff that I'd like to, sh- you know, I'm like, I need to share this on a podcast, but I'm not talking about this movie on a podcast, so I got to put it somewhere. Yeah, I got it. Like, uh, this is where the internet's such a wonderful place. It's just like you find out something like, I got to tell someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then thankfully, now I have an audience. So jackson continues to just share these pieces of trivia i'm like i need to write this down somewhere because i'm totally gonna forget (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing as always thank you for having me on guys this was a blast so you know you're always welcome so i think well we might as well just like let you let you guys in on a little secret jackson's gonna come back (laughs) are we gonna are we gonna tease the movie or are we gonna surprise them well Let's just say if anyone's still tuned in after four and a half hours, then well, they've they've earned it. Okay, fine. I'm gonna say this is gonna be toy soldiers. Go <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have you on for toy soldiers, and uh, yes. so that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a conversation and a half. And then I'm hope and I'm hoping Randy's gonna be more positive on this than he was on this because David Strathairn is not in it. <laughs> <laughs> But Speaking we do have of, Sean Astin in it and Will exactly. Wheaton, so I hope yeah. Niccolo can join us. Hopefully, hopefully, because Niccolo needs to, you know, get his Nic- get his 
Nicola needs the Jackson experience. Exactly. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. He needs to be here because you know, like, like Nick, you're listening to this. It looks like you're avoiding him. <laughs> if you're listening, if you're listening to this, thank you for staying tuned for seven plus hours, whatever it's been. It's great. Oh well. No. Anyway, Randy, where can we find your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7, and you can find occasionally some of the stuff I write on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. You can find me uh, talk about uh, talk about film Twitter, Jakob Flash Letterboxd, FlashOnFilm.com, uh, okay, occasionally Clapper as well. Follow the show, Uncut Gems Pod, everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And then TikTok's going to come back, promise, because, but I just I don't know how to squeeze things like i barely have time to watch these films like i like as i said i watched the river wild in the middle of the night and that was a glorious experience even though i'm absolutely tired anyway also um stay tuned for more podcasts on our patreon patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is where you can find extra shows so bonus times where we talk about classics tying into the stuff that we talk about on the on the regular show mini retrospectives where we talk about other things that we just think would just we're just fancy talking about and the david lynch marathon that we're, where we're going one by one month by not month through comprehensively through david lynch's filmography uh so yeah so subscribe for three bucks to uh support us and then listen to some more podcasts and also if you don't feel like spending money monthly you may you may also just support us by buying us a coffee and if you don't feel like spending money at all because you know times are tough uh just feel free to leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts because that also helps us a lot uh, in discovering our audience and then just making sure that we just come into people's ears more often. This sounded wrong. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, where was I? I think I'm tired because we've been doing this for three days now. And uh, (laughs) um, yeah, also make sure that if you... Go to our website, uncutgemspodcast.com, browse through all, all, all the shit we've done before and listen to something cool. Head over there as well. And then also stay tuned until next week because next week we're going to launch our sort of like well, first part of, of the Elmore Leonard double bill that's kind of paired up to the uh, to, to some stuff that we've done on the Patreon. So then we'll be talking about 52 Pickup. And then if stars align, there's going to be a special guest or two uh, in there with us and these people have these folks have been on the show before so like if you're listening to this like well then now we have a now we have a little bit of a mystery to un, to unravel there's going to be some special guests hopefully for this episode uh the, the 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 clue is in the in the cast because there's roy scheider in it and that's about it i think that's it we've done it we've done it the river wild's done next week 52 pickup and um so you guys have a lovely day and enjoy the paddling or whatever. Bye-bye.